4: Well, actually, it's Fox Sports Sunday right now. Good morning, everybody. Steve Harbin, Aaron Torres with you here from the Fox Sports Radio Studios. I don't want to get people disoriented here on a Sunday morning. I feel like it's a continuation of what we were doing yesterday with the The exception of the man sitting next to me right now, the always busy, the always involved, the always very much on top of everything happening on the sports world, Aaron Torres is here. Aaron.
5: Well, I will say, you know, I kind of am on the window where Fox Sports Saturday bleeds into Fox Sports Sunday, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. So I took us into Fox Sports Sunday last night. Rich Orenberger is traveling right now. So it is a privilege and an honor to be sitting in the Fox Sports Radio studios next to you. Steve, how are you?
4: man I'm doing great Aaron uh I'm a little anxious about a couple things very okay. excited that we got week 0 under our belt 11 games on the FBS level yesterday get a little taste of some college football I don't know what the uh, future is going to be for one Scott Frost we'll get to that at some point today but also I'm a little frustrated right yeah, now Okay and this started a year ago when the NFL expanded its schedule from 16 to 17 games which by the way is never a bad thing more NFL the better for me well, what I don't understand is, as we wrap up the preseason today, how is it that we have a bye week next week for the NFL? This started <laughs> last year. I was a little disoriented. I'm like, wait a second. The preseason's over. Why are we not playing NFL games last year? And apparently this is the new norm where we get a bye week okay. out of the preseason before we actually get the NFL season started okay. why are we okay. doing this well let me ask you see i i actually did not notice this i i had i'm
5: so here's the thing you know i love college football yes i'm so locked in to college football being the sole focus on Labor Day weekend. So you're telling me we had preseason games on Labor Day weekend previously, and I just don't remember. Maybe well, Thursday, no, Friday? here's
4: here's what happened. So okay. they basically what they did was they wanted to keep the Super Bowl in February where it okay. is. They okay. want to extend the season. So when you went from a four-game preseason to a three-game mm-hmm. season, they didn't adjust the schedule. In other words, they just eliminated that fourth week. Sure. And replaced it with a bye week for the NFL, which, oh, by the okay. way, which by the way, for you and I and such uh, college football fans as we are. Does give week one of the college football season the absolute spotlight. Sure. Which is never a bad thing, and we got mm-hmm. a lot of games we're gonna get to a little bit later on. All right, so I didn't realize that though. I, I didn't I don't remember them playing
5: into Labor Day weekend where all the games like Thursday, Friday, because I feel like that Labor Day Saturday is college football, then we have the one game Sunday, the one game Monday mm-hmm. that's into week one of the NFL.
4: Right. So okay. this this happened last year, and I'm like, Okay, why do we not have any NFL games this week? No preseason or regular season. So that means our focus really can be college football. So get ready for week one next Saturday. Um, all right, let's get to this right now, right out of the box. By the way, we got a lot of stories brewing right now. We'll get to the, uh, the Matt Matariza story coming up a little bit later on. Also some interesting comments by Aaron Rodgers, about his whole vaccination situation. But I I want to start things off, Aaron, because you and I talked on Friday about this college football season. There's a lot of intrigue this year for someone yes. that has followed college football literally since 1869. I was I was there with <laughs> Rutgers, Rutgers and with Princeton. Robeson, yeah. It was unbelievable. I was like, this is going to work. I well, really feel it. Robeson was as good as, as everyone says he was? <laughs> yes. Okay, that's good to uh, know. Pudge Heffelfinger was unbelievable. <laughs> First professional football player. Uh, but... You know, we, we know there's a lot of intrigue this year. We talked about the transfer portal, but the the pressure to win has never been more intense. And, you know, Scott Frost came to Nebraska with the promise that he was going to restore order at the University of Nebraska. This is a school that between 1969 and 2001 had 33 consecutive seasons with at least nine wins Unbelievable! back when they had an 11-game schedule. That's insane. 33 straight years of at least nine wins when they had 11-game wow. schedules. And then remember the Bill Callahan disaster, and then they hired Bo Polini Seven years, he won nine or ten games all seven years, and they booted him. They were Shoot. like, you can't win more than nine games They bring in Mike Riley, who's the nicest coach on the planet, didn't work out. And then they welcome Scott Frost home. Mm -hmm. After yesterday's loss to Northwestern, he is 15 and 30 at Nebraska. And worse, in one score games, eight points or less, he is 5 and 21. Is it fixable, anybody? Or is Nebraska football as a power extinguished forever? Well, that's an interesting
5: twist on it because I think last night kind of – like, Scott Frost just isn't the guy. And, I listen, you know, everyone's doing this revisionist history. Like, our buddy Tim Brando, I feel bad. You know, he had a quote on Paul Feinbaum. This is Nebraska's Nick Saban when he was hired. Everyone's doing this revisionist history thing that they didn't love the hire. I mean, he's coming off a 13-0 and season at Central Florida, beats Auburn and I think it was the Peach Bowl. Claiming like, the national championship. Yeah, but it's like – the idea that anyone didn't think this was going to be a huge success is, you know, they're they're lying to you. But anyway, so I was thinking about this this morning. I actually tweeted it out. Is I think I, I think there's this weird narrative with Nebraska where um, everybody in the media is like, oh, they'll never get back to where they were. And like, yeah, will, will they ever get back to three championships in four years, the Nebraska that when I first started watching college football, I don't mean to date you, Steve Hartman, but when <laughs> I first started walk, to watch college football, it was Nebraska, Nebraska, Nebraska. I don't know if they'll ever get back there. I do think, as we discussed on your show on Friday, in this new world of the transfer portal, though, I mean, their starting quarterback was at Texas last year. Two best wide receivers at LSU and Texas. Uh, defensive back at Alabama. I do think there's a world where, especially if we expand this playoff, can they be what Wisconsin is? Can they be what Iowa is? Can they get to 10-2 and two and in a 16-team playoff be the, the 12 seed? I think they can. I don't think it's going to be under Scott Frost. Go ahead.
4: All right, but at the same time, the Big Ten, you would have to admit, is going to get even more competitive true, for recruits true. once USC and UCLA are added to that conference. And, of course, now the ceiling can be as many as 20 schools joining the Big Ten. The competition is going to be fierce and what this requires now, and I I laugh at this whole transfer portal thing and the, you know, name image likeness, because when this first came down, it seems like forever ago, it was only a couple of years ago that yep. finally got a green light here in California. I remember people, because immediately my reaction was, you just opened Pandora's box. And everyone's like, oh, no. How many players <laughs> is this going to affect? Maybe a couple of star quarterbacks. It's not even going to be national. I go, are you high? What do you think? You don't think that if USC has a ticket to offer money through name, image, and likeness to a recruit, they're not going to have an advantage over a school that doesn't have that? This is going to sweep the nation, and we'll see how this all plays out. Well, now it's a runaway train. Money is being thrown all over the place First, it started with these collectives, and even that wasn't enough money. So now they're they're being subsidized by all these different alumni groups and everything else. Money's pouring into these universities. So for a school like Nebraska, their history really means nothing at this point. It's like Texas A and M, where all this money is pouring into Texas A and M, and Jimbo Fisher suddenly is sitting on a pot of gold, and they're throwing money around like there's no tomorrow to get the top recruits to either sign out of high school or transfer into Texas A and M. This is where we are. So unless you have that money being funneled into university, I'm sorry. You're just not going to be able to compete for the top talent. Well, and that's why, like, you know, Nick Saban got a lot of
5: heat this summer. Listen, what Nick Saban said about Jimbo Fisher, I understand. I wasn't, like, people, there was this weird, like, mad at Jimbo Fisher. It's like, well, it's all allegations, and Nick Saban spoke about it as if it was fact. But Nick Saban's points, and he said this, I saw him in an interview this week still talking about it, is, listen, you think there's not parody now wait until there's four, five, six schools that can simply just bid more on players than, than anybody else. And so it's a changing world in college football. Um, but to answer what you said, I'm still not sold that, again, and I know the Big Ten is going to get tougher. We're going to get to a 12-, 16-team playoff here pretty soon. I mean, the powers that be are hinting at it, and, and you know that that means that money, they're Money, about- money, money. Follow the money. Wherever the money can be made, they're going to go. And so, again, I do think with the right guy – by the way, you talk about five and whatever in one-score games. They had the talent to beat everybody on their schedule last year, even Ohio State. They were driving to take the lead at against Ohio State at home late in that game. And so I just bring it up because I don't think the gap between them and the the top of, the say, the Big Ten is as big as people think it is. Now, the gap between them and Alabama is still huge, but the gap between Alabama and everybody is huge. So I don't think they're dead as a program. I but, you know, as far as Scott Frost is concerned, 15 and 30, as you said, um, five and whatever in close games, at some point when you lose so many close games one after the other, that's a direct reflection of the coach more than anything else. All
4: right, so are the elite powers in college football further separating them from everybody else? If you look at the preseason AP poll, you have Alabama at number one, Notre Dame's at number five. Notre Dame is a 17-point yep. underdog in their opening game of the season at Ohio State. Does that illustrate the separation of the elite from the Olsa Rans? We're going to break down where we are in terms of 2022 and what schools are really in the chase for a national championship coming up next.
3: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge.
4: Steve Harvin, Aaron Torres here. Fox Sports Sunday, the first Saturday of college football is in the books. And, of course, next week we get to a fully loaded college football schedule. And with no NFL football next weekend, college football will take center stage. I know, and I have talked about this time and again, Aaron, of, of why I am so enamored with college football, and it's certainly no knock on the NFL because, obviously, I follow the NFL religiously like everybody else. But to me, there's still something that separates the college game mm-hmm. from the NFL game. And and really, the dynamic of the two sports could not be more different. Uh, the NFL is exactly what it is. The absolute elite players, and there's a certain formula of playing in the NFL. Some play, you know, some teams do it better than others, and that's how it all works in the NFL. College football still is very regional. Mm-hmm. There's certain differences in styles of yep. play, different philosophies on how to be successful at the college level. You get the iconic coaches that are at one institution over a long time. Look at Iowa Sam. He wants to give Kirk Ferentz another 20-year extension at Iowa. Former UConn Husky, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean – there is something he said. I mean, Nick Saban, obviously, at Alabama, Davos Sweeney at Clemson. Can I jump in? Are you afraid with all of these
5: moves, USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, Texas, Oklahoma to the SEC, as you reference, we could get more teams to the Big Ten soon, which probably makes the SEC at, you know, react in their own way. Are you worried that we're losing a little bit of that in college football?
4: No, and and this is old school guy talking about new school right now. Sure. Okay. So as someone that grew up on the days back in you know in the 60s and 70s where you only saw a few of the elite programs ever on television before they opened the floodgates, the idea even showing like you never saw a home game because they always thought no one's going to show up. So back in the days when it was Michigan, Ohio State, USC, UCLA, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, we only saw a few schools out there. Here's what I recognize. So when you say, I remember like when Nebraska leaves the Big 12 to go to the Big 10, I'm like, what's happening here? Or oh, when Penn State moved in the Big 10, they were an independent all those years. You think of, this doesn't look right, but then you're reminded again 10 years from now, you have a whole different generation yeah. of viewers don't, don't even remember when it was anything different from what they're seeing. So, no, I don't think it's an, it's, it's, I think what's happening right now, though, is, and we've heard a lot of these high-priced coaches bitching and moaning about all these changes and everything else. Well, I think what we're going to find out is we're going to see a separation of coaching. You know, you you look at Lincoln Riley here at USC, whether they got over 20 transfer players coming yep. in this year. They have almost an entire new roster. That doesn't include, obviously, their incoming freshman class. So you're going to have to figure out a way to get all the pieces to fit in a very short amount of time. So if anything, some of these longtime coaches that just kick back, have their assistants bring in their five-star recruits, and they don't even have a headset on during the game, I think those days are over. I think the premium on coaching is more pronounced now than it's ever been.
5: And I think coaches are smarter, too, right? Where it's like, you know, we always talk about for players. So, you know, players have started saying the last decade or so, it's a business. This is a business decision. This is why I'm going to this school. This is why I'm transferring. Respect my decision. I think coaches are realizing that, too, where Lincoln Riley was like, you know, and this is something we talked about on your show the other day, but I can stay at Oklahoma, very, very good program historically, but they're going into the SEC. What does the next 10 years look like? Or I can go to USC. Now, he didn't know USC was going to the Big Ten, but I can go to USC where the ceiling is higher. Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame because he believes I have tapped out what I can do at Notre Dame. LSU, Louisiana per capita, produces more NFL players than any other state in the country. So I think that's an interesting development as well is the idea that any like I I think and it depends on the school, but I think the idea that anyone is off the table at this point in a coaching move becomes very, very, very interesting because I do think the coaches like the players are now saying this is a business, y'all fire me after two bad years, so I'm gonna do what's best for myself, and it's easier now with the transfer portal.
4: When they introduced the playoff, I remember at the time the argument was well, this'll give more schools an opportunity when the national championship, and all I kept thinking is, no, it's not. Because it's only going to give more exposure to Alabama, more exposure to Clemson. Now we're going to see a greater separation of the that's elite elite programs because they're getting more exposure by being in that playoff every single year. And that's exactly what happened. Alabama and Clemson have dominated along with Ohio State, and they have separated themselves from the rest. Now Georgia, at least temporarily, maybe much like LSU a couple of years ago, I mean, every once in a while some will crash the party. But when you look at Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, they have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. So as we get into 2022, and let me ask you this, because you're talking about the inevitable expansion of the college football playoff for financial purposes alone, because there is so much. I mean, it's staggering when you think. If you went to a 16-school playoff, Like they have at every other level, whether it's the FCS or Division II, Division III, the off-16 school playoffs. The money is mind-boggling. But, again, if you do that, are you going to actually create a competitive balance in college football? Or are these elite programs even going to further separate themselves from the other schools?
5: So this has been my argument forever, and people don't want to hear it. Um, First of all, like you said, I think it's funny with the fourteen playoff. We have never had a playoff, and this is now year nine, year eight, whatever it is, where all four teams were good enough to win it, like you said, because now you got to get there and you've got to beat two elite teams, not just one. How many of those semis have been blowouts? Like prop more than fifty percent. I mean, how many? But let's put it this way: how many have been great games? I mean, there was the Ohio or the uh, Oklahoma uh, Georgia Rose yes. Bowl that everybody. Remember. All these other games are dogs. I mean, dogs. I, I was I was in this studio for Alabama Cincinnati. Well, first drive, Alabama runs the ball. I think ten out of eleven how plays. About like
4: Georgia, Michigan.
5: Yeah. Well, that's what Blow I'm saying. out. And so, so people don't want to hear this. I don't think it's going to do anything. And I think an expanded playoff is going to hurt fandom in college football. And I'll give you a quick example. I'll try not to be long here. But think about somebody like Ole Miss last year, right? Yeah. Ole Miss finishes with 10 wins. They go to the Sugar Bowl as the you know best team from the SEC, not in the playoff. They lost the Sugar Bowl, but there was injuries, whatever. But I think Ole Miss can come out of last season, we made the Sugar Bowl, we're excited, we had a good season. Well, now if there's an expanded playoff, you know who they're going to play? Alabama. They already played Alabama. They lost by 30 to Alabama in the regular season. And so my question is, under the current structure right now, does an Ole Miss fan come out of last year happier going to the Sugar Bowl, having a great season, and calling it a day? Or now everyone's like, well, you made the playoff. It's like, yeah, but if you lost by 40 to Alabama, it just shows you how far away you truly are. I think it's going to hurt more than it helps. Nobody really wants to listen to me, though, All right,
4: Now, one recent phenomenon that I think actually will revert back to the way it used to be is elite players playing in bowl games. Sure. So what well, the what happened was guys that were going to go into the NFL draft suddenly were taking seasons off. Remember, Jadavion Clowney essentially took off that year after his big sophomore year. Uh, it, it, this has been going on. McCaffrey didn't play in his bowl game, but now with name, image, and likeness, because if you have an expanded playoff, right, and you have let's say a, a star quarterback that's projected to be a top three pick in the NFL draft, and you're saying I got to play four more games, sorry. Good luck. I wish mm-hmm. you guys the best. I'm backing out of the entire playoff. Unless, of course, you put money in my pocket. And now they're allowed to actually do this. So we're going to see guys extend their college careers. I think you're now actually going to get – I mean, think about this. You have Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, who were not eligible, by the way, obviously, for the NFL draft. And we'll get into that whole dynamic, how the NFL may be effective in their approach based on what's happening at the college football level but what do you think they're making this year i mean well, how much money is being poured into the pocket of Bryce Young remember last year Nick Saban said he was there? making seven figures he never even started a game how about as a reigning Heisman trophy winner CJ what how much money are these guys making this year
5: well and i'll just quickly flip it to college basketball the reigning national player of the year Oscar Shebway, not really cut out for the nba right? 6 foot 8 power forward you know whatever He's going to make more money at Kentucky this year than he would as a professional basketball player. And so you flip it back to football. Now, yeah, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, those guys are going to be high-level NFL quarterbacks. But for the guys that aren't, and I'm trying to think of an example off the top of my head, you know, like a Sam Ellinger type, like maybe that does keep that kind of player in school where you're going to be like a fourth, fifth-round pick, and you're going to be fighting for your job – or you could be the Texas quarterback or the Georgia quarterback or the Alabama quarterback and make who knows how much. So I do think that element of it, the NIL aspect of it, I think will help college sports. We're in the early stages, but I think it will.
4: Well, since that COVID free season still in play, do you have know how many six-year players we have this year? A ton. A ton of six-year players on the
5: college football scene. Well, so, r- Real quick, I was going to say, that's what made last year so fascinating. Like, Why were Ohio State, Oklahoma, uh, whoever, uh, Clemson all down? Well, they lost all their guys to the NFL. Everybody they're playing was able to bring back all their veterans. I think it's going to start to even out, but it, that was an interesting dynamic from last year.
4: All day. right, so on the other side, we'll talk about the NFL. How do they adjust to what's going on on the college football scene? But first... Let's find out what's trending right now. Brian (laughs) Finley. The fan is in the house. Hi,
7: Brian. How are you, man? Aaron and Steve, good to talk to you guys on this Sunday. So the Jets, as they are in an NFL preseason game right now, adjusting with Joe Flacco as their quarterback right now. (laughs) Yeah, how's that going? Well, a fumble and a punt the first two drives for the Jets against the Giants. No score here, as this one's about 725 remaining in the first quarter Giants and Jets so Flacco five of nine through the air 63 yards five completions but here's a good stat he's completed a pass to five different guys so he's spreading the rock around a little bit Michael Carter did fumble on the first drive where the Jets were on the move and Tyrod Taylor who is starting quarterback for the Giants has already gotten sacked. Coming up later on tonight or this afternoon depending upon what coast you're on, it's Lions and Steelers at 4:30 Eastern. Tim Boyle will start at quarterback for the Lions. You can. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's somewhere way deep down on that depth chart there, Aaron. And then Mitch Trubisky, who seemingly is the guy and will be the starting QB for Pittsburgh in this one, although Kenny Pickett is starting to put some pressure on Trubisky. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers went on the Joe Rogan podcast, and here's a bit where Rodgers explains what was going on behind the scenes during the NFL's early implementation of COVID-19 protocols.
8: They scared teams. and said if you had an outbreak caused – by a non-vaccinated player, you not only forfeit that game, but you wouldn't get paid for that week. And I got COVID from a fully-vaxxed individual who only got vaxxed to keep his potential of being a part of the NFL.
7: Meanwhile, in Major League Baseball, the Dodgers are owning a 3-1 lead against the Marlins in Miami, top of the fourth, and Mookie Betts has already gone yard. Tour championship is happening. Final round, Scotty Scheffler is set to tee off. He's leading by six shots. He's set to tee off in about 20 minutes. He has that 23-under overall and is, yeah, that six-shot lead over Xander Shoffley and Rory McIlroy who are tied in second. With one round to go, they had to start up Steve and Aaron, part of the third round and finish it up today because of weather yesterday. But hopefully they can get everything in golf wise and have a champ for that tour championship. Let's get it back to the pride of UCLA and the pride of UConn in Steve Hartman and Aaron Torres, respectively.
4: All right, Brian. Thank you very much. We will check in with you a little bit later on. All right. We're talking about the evolution of college football. And now how does it affect the future of the NFL? So the NFL obviously wants to get their hands on the elite talent out of their free minor league system, a.k.a. college football, as soon as it's available. But now, all of a sudden, there's a certain amount of leverage that these top college scars have because of name image likeness and the fact that professionalism is now part of the college football scene. I mean, think about it, Aaron. Way back in the day, a guy like John Elway said, I don't want to play for the Colts forced them to make a trade for the Broncos, or I'm going to play baseball, or Eli Manning. He didn't want to play for the Chargers. Mm, I see where forced you're going. a trade. But now, if you look at the lineup as we get ready for the NFL draft, if you're an underclassman and you're let's just let's just say use Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud as examples. So they would still be underclassmen heading into the NFL draft. But if either one of them decides, looking at the top couple of picks of the draft, I have no interest in playing for. Those teams, they don't have to. Because believe me, if you think they're making a lot of money now, can you imagine if like you know the alums come in and say, Hey, CJ, love to have you back for <laughs> another season at Ohio State Bryce, how about another year at Bama? Here's a boatload of money to stay instead of jumping in the NFL. If If playing the NFL really is just about making coin, if that's really what your motivation is beyond anything else, hey, there's more money to be had potentially for these guys to stay in college an extra year. My only thought on that is
5: I I think it's an interesting idea. I guess my only argument would be, one, it's not like college basketball where you have all this time to decide if you want to stay in the draft or go. I mean, what do you have, a couple weeks, and then it's kind of like that's the deadline you got to be in. But does anybody really have any real say other than the guy that is going to be the definitive number one pick? Like, if you're the top wide receiver on the board and you're going to go top five, um, I, you know, I, I don't know, if, it feels like something, if you're Trevor Lawrence, everybody knows you're going number one and you just don't want to go to Jacksonville. Remember, there was the report that year, he doesn't want to play for the Jets. Right. Could he have used that as leverage in an I.O. world? Maybe. I just don't know how many guys will really realistically have that option. Well,
4: I mean, again, if their dream is to play in the NFL, you're right. But there could be exceptions. Sure. Again, based on potentially the team they go to, because I've said this for years and years and years about the National Football League. If you look at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Aaron, half the players that are in there are there simply because they were the best players. The other half, right right team, right right place, right time, right system. And we know that there's been a lot of elite college talent Mm. That has not panned out in the NFL, and we're like, "Wow, they were bust or they were overrated." Not necessarily, they were in the wrong system, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. So I think it's a potential situation. Now, how does the NFL counter that? So remember, after Sam Bradford made that huge, uh, you know, bonanza money coming out of Oklahoma, they changed the salary structure yep. and put a cap and essentially slotted which rookie you know, salary you make based on where you're taking the NFL draft. They may have to take a look at that. They may be forced if, do, yes. if they do suddenly get some elite quarterbacks or elite talent saying, you know what? I think I'm going to stay in school another year. They may say, whoa, 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 whoa. We may need to make an adjustment. So I think the NFL – is very curious how this is going to play out, and I think their first big test could be coming up in next year's draft. It was funny as soon as this
5: conversation started, I immediately looked to see what Trevor Lawrence made uh, as a as an NFL rookie last year, and you know he signed a whatever you know deal worth about thirty plus million dollars. It comes out to about nine million a year. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's five year control though they yeah. have over him. I you know I, so one I think it's interesting. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Now that we talk it out, and now that we mention. How many guys are failures strictly because of the system that they're in? And I say that all the time. Like people ask me around NBA draft time, well, what about this guy? And I say, well, what team is he getting drafted by? Like, if Draymond Green gets drafted by the Sacramento Kings, you know, he's he's selling car insurance somewhere. Like, it's just the truth. Like, it's not a knock on Draymond; it's just the reality. So I only bring it up because I was going to ask you: Are you surprised in hindsight now, as you just said, the number of guys that end up being busts? We have the Jets on here in studio three, four, five guys have come through there. None of them have worked because of organizational dysfunction. Are you surprised that more guys don't do what Eli Manning did? I mean, Eli was really kind of the last one that just flat out said, I'm not playing for your organization. Am I missing anybody since then?
4: Well, no, but I mean, here's the thing and why we see so many star players at the collegiate level that we all assume are going to be stars at the NFL fall short, and it really comes back to – the mindset of head coaches and coordinators that they can take a player that played in one system in college and put them in a different system. And they're going to have the same level of success. And I always go back to Belichick and the new England Patriots and why they've had sustained success all these years. They do something that's so obvious and yet so novel in the NFL, because what they do is identify what it is you do best and then get this. They actually put you in a position to succeed. We're going to take what you do mm -hmm. best, and then we're going to use what you do best and put it into our game plan to put you in a position to utilize your best talent. Now, this seems so obvious, but you would be stunned. How many teams, how many coaches are absolutely convinced, all right, we know he did this well, but he's going to be able to do this in our system, and it doesn't fit. And this happens over and over over again in the NFL. The Patriots do it a different way. And by the way, the other thing the Patriots do better than any other organization over the last 20 years, they don't hit on everybody. Whether it's a high-priced free agent or someone they picked in the draft, and they identify a mistake early yep. and they get rid of it. They're not one of those, well, we're still convinced this could work. They don't do that. They recognize instantly, all right, we made a mistake here, gone. We'll move on. Um, that's why they're so successful. It's so interesting because I was thinking about this the,
5: not the other day, actually, is that that has to be the number one change since I've started watching football is the the old-school coach that says, you know, we do it my way, and this is how it's going to be. Remember the conversations that used to happen, Steve, yeah. when guys came into the NFL? I remember it was with Jared Goff specifically. Well, he's never taken a snap under center. Well, what is he? what are we going to do? He's never – Well, I don't know. How about don't put him under center if you're going to draft him? It doesn't seem that complicated to me. Like, I'm sorry, you know, I haven't ground my way up from the tape room to be a head coach to say don't put him under center if he's never been under center. So, I don't know. You know, Belichick's a good example, but I think I think a lot of it is these new younger coaches and I know you know everyone likes to make the big Sean McVay and he's boy genius and all that I do think the infiltration of younger guys that kind of get just because it's been done this way doesn't mean that it has to be done the same way going forward I think that has to be part of it because you look at all these young guys all these young head coaches that are sitting there saying this isn't my system this isn't the team system let's as you said Steve Put a guy that's comfortable—let's make a guy comfortable doing what he is comfortable doing as opposed to forcing him to do something that we're comfortable
4: with. I had a chance to sit down with Sean McVay before his first season. I had a really? friend of mine—this was this was interesting. A friend of mine was part of a speaking tour, and Sean McVay and Les Snead were going to be coming in to speak— And he arranged for me to have a sit-down one-on-one with this new hire of the Rams, Sean McVay, 30 years old, right? I'm looking at this guy thinking to myself, I was working for the Raiders when this guy was born, Mm -hmm. okay? So the first question, obviously, I have was golf because he was 0-7 as a starter. He was so overwhelmed his rookie year. It just looked like, and you had traded two ones, two twos, two threes to get him, and he doesn't look like he can play in this league. So as I sat down with this 30-year-old Sean McVay and Les Snead was sitting right there I'm like what is what is your game plan with this guy and it, and he he didn't even blink he's like first of all we have to race last year yep and we've got to make him comfortable in the situation, one of the things they did did they brought in a former teammate of his, like a backup quarterback at Berkeley, that was a buddy of his, sort of just to be there. Interesting, okay. somebody that he sort of felt comfortable around. He wasn't going to play for the team, but he was going to be there. And I'm looking at this thinking, all right, well, I'll tell you what, if you can if you can turn this guy around, because I don't see anything in this guy. But if you can turn this thing around, and what happened? Boom, they're in the playoffs, and he looked like a completely different quarterback. Mm-hmm. So again. Putting players in positions to succeed based on the talents they have, again, seems so obvious, but it's so rare in the NFL. Because everybody's a genius. I can make this guy what I want him to be. And that just doesn't play out. Yeah, I heard uh, our buddy Colin Cowherd had uh,
5: Kevin O'Connell, the new Vikings head coach, on his uh, one of his shows this week, and he, Kevin O'Connell, said, you know, that was my number one thing with Kirk Cousins, making him comfortable with me. We meet one on one. What worked? What didn't? This isn't my offense. If he sees something, now we're not asking him to call every play of every game. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but I'm not. We're not asking him to call every play of every game. But we want to put him in positions where he's most comfortable. And this is a veteran quarterback, so imagine being Zach Wilson, 21 years old, Trey Lance coming from the FCS level, whoever, Jared Goff early in his career. I just think it's a complete change in the last four or five years. Because I was thinking about it. Remember, this was the problem with Robert Griffin III. Mike Shanahan didn't really want him, had to put him under center, and obviously anybody who watched RG3 knew that wasn't where he was going to have success. So... RG3 wasn't that long ago, what was it about seven, eight years ago? It's amazing how quickly this has changed.
4: All right. Uh you mentioned young coaches coming to the league. How about Matt LaFleur? I mean, he comes into Green Bay with the Aaron Rodgers, and suddenly he's won more games than his first three years as a head coach, any coach in the history of the National Football League. By the way, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, we got some sound for you to share. Aaron Rodgers, smartest guy in the room, or so he thinks, coming up next.
5: or wherever you get your podcast,
3: Steve, this is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is.
4: Carbon Aaron Torres here. Fox Sports Sunday. Aaron Rodgers. Are you an Aaron Rodgers fan? And I I take that two ways. As a player, we obviously admire a four-time, two-time reigning NFL MVP. But that aside, do you like Aaron Rodgers? I I have no problem
5: with anybody who is a free thinker. Um, And I actually listen to a lot of what we're going to talk about right now. I do have a. He's a little smarmy and like I'm smarter than you kind of way. So that part I don't like. I do like that he pushes. He pushes challenges. Pushes the norms. If that makes sense.
4: Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, the Nick Cage impersonations. That's fun. That's that's fun stuff. But okay, so he was on the Joe Rogan Experience. Now, when you go on the Joe Rogan Experience, much like if you went on Howard Stern, right? You know you're going to ask be asked direct questions and you're expected to answer those questions because you have a huge, huge audience. Certainly that with the Joe Rogan uh, podcast. So here was Aaron Rodgers when he was pressed about this whole idea that he sort of deceived people about his vaccination status.
8: I'd been ready the entire time for this question and had thought about how I wanted to answer it. And I had come to a conclusion, I'm going to say, I've been immunized. And if there's a follow-up, then talk about my process. But thought there's a possibility that I say I'm immunized. Maybe they understand what that means. Maybe they don't. Maybe they follow up. They didn't follow up. So then I go the season, them thinking, some of them, that I was vaccinated, right? Because they follow, the only follow-up they asked was basically asking me to rip on my teammates. Like, what do you say to your teammates who aren't vaccinated? Like, what kind of example do you feel like you're setting, you know, to your teammates who aren't vaccinated? And I said it's everybody's own decision with their body and we're super healthy individuals we take care of ourselves we understand what goes in our bodies and i don't have any judgment on any decision that a guy makes with their own body right
4: so in other words by using the word immunized he is immunized for could be anything i mean you know we've all been immunized as kids and everything else so he was trying to play with words And it really was on the media. I don't blame him. Nobody asked me a follow-up question like, what do you mean by immunized? Nobody asked him. So, And this was my exact
5: point when this came up last year. People were like, oh, he deceived everybody. I'm like, you asked if he was vaccinated. He responded, I'm immunized. That is not an answer to the question that you asked. Okay, so, and again. Now I'm in more of the radio podcast space. I went to school for, I'm one of the few people in the media. I went to school for journalism. Like, I, you know, I wear my big J hat sometimes. And like, that would be the first thing I would, b- b- before you pass the mic, you've been in press conferences, before you pass the mic to the next person, whoa, 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 whoa. so I, I said, are you vaccinated? You said, are you immunized? Can you, does that mean you have not gotten the vaccination per, like that is such a f- natural follow-up question. And I was so shocked. When people, and maybe it's just because it's people in our media, uh, in our business that always want to defend other people in our business. But when I saw the video dating back to training camp of last year, and people were mad at Aaron Rodgers because he answered the question the way he did, I'm with you, Steve. He answered your question. It's on you to follow up if there's any
4: clarification that needs to be had. Right. And he's right about the idea of when he was being asked questions about teammates and everything else hey, they make their own choices. What else am I going to say? I'm not going to speak for somebody else. You want to know why they haven't been vaccinated? You ask them why they haven't been vaccinated. Don't ask me as their quarterback, as their teammate. They're making their own personal choices. So, yeah, in this case, because I am bothered like a lot of people when Aaron Rodgers certainly gets – and believe me, you've run into people like this over the years. We run into it. It's a very small percentage. You know, most – athletes or coaches, even at an elite level, are just like everybody else. There's always going to be exceptions. Those that have a certain level of attitude, those that look down upon others. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is that to an extreme, but I do think he enjoys the process of playing mind games. It's just the way his brain works, and he enjoys doing some of that. Just to follow up, though, on something we are talking about in the previous segment, though, when you had a guy like Matt LaFleur Having to deal with that guy, sure, Aaron Rodgers, at a time when it appeared maybe Aaron Rodgers was on the downside, and for Matt LaFleur to jump in and get on the same page with this guy, rattle off 39 regular season wins in three years, back-to-back MVP awards for Aaron Rodgers, all the other noise that's been going on. That's a pretty good coaching job. Well, And really quick, it goes back a little bit
5: to a big conversation this preseason about what's going on in Dallas, is that I think we now realize Mike McCarthy was a lot bigger part of the problem than Aaron Rodgers was actually declining, no different than Tom Brady when we thought he was done in New England. As it turns out, maybe Bill Belichick didn't just surround him with the best talent.
4: Don't get me started, McCarthy. I oh, think, let's do it! I, we I, got three I, hours! I, again, but I tell you what, he's working for the right guy because Jerry Jones tends to stick with coaches. He's not big into firing coaches. Uh, He may have uh, second thoughts on McCarthy after this season. All right, coming up on the other side, it's a big story out of Buffalo. They cut their punter. What is next for Matt Ariza? We'll tell you coming up next. Fox Sports Radio
3: has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
4: Steve Hartman and Aaron Torres here on this Sunday. I wish we had NFL football next Sunday. We don't. We don't. It'll be the following Thursday when the Super Bowl champion Rams take on the Buffalo Bills, which some people think might be a preview of this year's Super Bowl.
5: One other thing. Yes. Why do we have on a Sunday, the last couple Sundays of the summer, when everybody wants to go to the beach? You know, the NFL is so smart about everything. Why do we have two preseason games at whatever this is, one Eastern and 4.30 – can we get an 8 p.m. Eastern game? Like, I, I don't I, – the NFL is so smart about everything. I just don't understand why they're playing games in the middle of the afternoon on Sundays in August. It makes no sense to All
4: me. All right, well, actually, it's uh, 2 o'clock Eastern. Well, I now think- it is, but this started at 1 p.m. Eastern. I understand, and I'm trying to think the same thing. Like, I, I'm watching this Jets-Giants game, and the only thing that's going through my mind is why. Yes, because the only thing that could come out of this game of any substance is somebody getting hurt. Now, yesterday if you looked at some of these games, there was nobody playing. I mean, well, nobody playing. Guys that literally are going to be putting on an NFL uniform for the last time before they get released by these organizations. So what a, is the purpose of these games?
5: There was a couple interesting things that happened yesterday cuz I hosting I looked through all these box scores last night. Tua completed well, Tua was Played with Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill had two catches for 64 yards and Tua averaged like 13 yards per completion. Do you think that
4: means anything at all? It means something to me because it only proves what I've been saying all along. Uh Uh-oh, what's that? And that is, is that Tyreek Hill, A, is, is a difference maker on any teams that he plays on because a lot of people were trying to downplay the loss of Tyreek Hill for the Chiefs or overplay the impact he's going to have on this Dolphins offense. The other thing that comes to mind with Tua and when I watched him in Alabama, the first thing that impressed me from his – touchdown pass to Devontae Smith, the freshman-to-freshman pass that won a national championship. And throughout his Alabama career, because I was concerned about his size, his durability, but the one thing that always impressed me about Tua was his accuracy in throwing the deep ball. And now you have the ultimate deep threat in Tyreek Hill, not just because of his speed, his ability to adjust, his ability to catch the ball, to jump over the defender's It is going to be a bonanza if they can keep both those guys on the field. Okay, so you and I, man, we vibe so
5: hard, and I don't we don't plan any of this before the show. This is my big take for the preseason in the NFL. I think the Chiefs finish in last place in the AFC West. Now, last place in the AFC West is different than the NFC East. I'm not talking three and fourteen, but 10 and 7, not maybe not 10 and 7, maybe 9 and 8, you could finish in last place in that division. And part of the reason was, first of all, Patrick Mahomes is in the Steph Curry, nobody can ever criticize him for anything phase of his career. It's unbelievable. The offense was abysmal for like six straight weeks last year. Fell apart in the AFC Championship game in the second half. I think Tyreek Hill is one of one. And I think there's this notion of, well, you know, we live in a world where you just lose a star receiver, uh, you just pick up another one, right? The Titans trade A.J. Brown, they draft another one, everything's going to be fine. I think Tyreek Hill is one of one. I don't think you can replace a guy that's 5'8 and significantly faster than every other person in the NFL. And when you don't have that weapon, it doesn't make Patrick Kelsey – Patrick Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is dangerous. It doesn't make the other wide receivers as dangerous. That is my bold prediction
4: because I believe in Tyreek Hill that much. Why did the Chiefs move up to draft Patrick Mahomes? Was it because he had some superstar career at Texas Tech? No. What they had was Alex Smith, who – is honestly one of the most underrated quarterbacks of the last decade of the NFL. Look at his wins and losses, Mm because that's really what it comes down to. But why did they want to replace Alex Smith with Patrick Mahomes? The answer was Tyreek Hill. We have this talent, because there were all these questions about character and everything else. A lot of teams just passed on Tyreek Hill because they didn't even think he would stick in the league. But after two years, when it was apparent that he was – You know, he's going to stay on the straight and narrow, and he has a supreme talent. We need a quarterback that can get the ball down the field and allow us to utilize the full extent of Tyreek Hill's talent, and that's exactly what happened with Patrick Mahomes. Look, every team that has played the Chiefs, over the last several years, it's pick your poison. Am I going to focus on Kelsey or am I going to focus on Tyreek Hill? They're not saying, "Gee, do we focus on Kelsey or Juju smith Juicy? <laughs> or true. or Nicole Hardman, uh, who basically Walken has did. been a bust?" So my my point is is that I I'm look I'm with you 100. percent What I'm not convinced about in the AFC West is the status of Russell Wilson with the okay. Broncos. I he might prove me wrong. But he took a lot of punishment in Seattle. A lot of it's self-induced. Sure. Because when you're extending plays and you're getting sacked the way Russell Wilson was and you're leading your team in rushing, you're logging a lot of extra miles on your body. So I'm not quite sure what we're going to see with Russell Wilson at the Broncos. But right now, I, I I know a lot of people are back and forth on the Raiders and I saw, you know, the Vegas overrunner is 8.5 for a team that won 10 games. I'm like, mm-hmm. how are they worse? You add yes. Devontae Adams, you have Josh McDaniels. Yep. But I've been hearing things about their offensive line, and maybe they have some problems. And the argument with the Chargers is simply this. I'll believe it when the, I yeah, see they're it. they're the Chargers. They're the yep. Chargers. Yes. The other thing
5: I'll say about the Chargers really quick, but the Chiefs, by the way, their schedule is also worth noting. Yeah. They're first, so they play – at Arizona, Chargers, Colts, Bucks, Raiders, Bills, 49ers, Titans. So that is two, four, six, eight, seven of their first eight games are against teams that made the playoffs last year. The one that isn't is the Chargers. So that that's part of the Chiefs thing with me, too. Really quickly with the Chargers. I think you can make the argument. I think no person in the NFL, and this is kind of half baked. I haven't thought about every single person in the NFL. I think no person in the NFL has more pressure on him this year than Brandon Staley because the reason being is that I think last year the analytics thing was, oh, it's oh, he's so quirky and he's going for it in his own territory and what's he doing? And then it was week 18 against the Raiders with a playoff game on the line, playoff spot on the line, and we all saw it with our own eyes. Like this analytics thing is cool. But it's a piece of the puzzle. It is not the entire puzzle. You can't put a, a numeric value on going for it on 3rd and 9 and crushing your team spirit. Go ahead.
4: All right. So, Matt Money Smith, the voice of the Chargers yes. with the NFL Network. I had him on my show last week. And I, I've i been bringing up this whole Brandon Staley thing from the get-go. And, you know, you go back. Uh, we had Austin on. We were in the Super Bowl, you know, in Radio Row. And Austin Eckler came by, and that last game against the Raiders, winner of the game goes to the post. Actually, remember, it could have been ended in a tie. Yep. But both gone, yeah. you you have a third-quarter situation. Raiders are leading by three. Fourth and two inside your own 20-yard line, and you go for it. Now, if your argument is, well, I have a lot of faith in my quarterback, that's one thing. That's not what they did. They handed the ball off to Eckler got mm-hmm. stuffed. We asked Austin Eckler about that play. And what did he say? His eyeballs rolled. Oh! Like, like basically – He likes the aggressive nature, I'm sure, as an offensive player. But even he was stunned when he got into that huddle. And we're going to hand a straight hand up up the middle, which got stuffed. By the way, the Raiders end up getting a field goal. Defense actually tightened up. But getting back to Matt Money-Smith, because he's a big defender of Brandon Staley. And he said something which is a feasible argument of why Staley did what he did a year ago. And it has nothing to do with that stupid Browns game where – you know, they were just back and forth, and he was going for it like crazy against a Browns team that had no defense. The problem was the Raiders, the Chargers had no defense.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: The okay. Chargers' defense was awful last year. So where is the strength of your team? The strength of your team a year ago is in your quarterback. So the idea of going for it on fourth down in situations where you're saying, what the hell are you doing was really based, and again, this is according to the voice of the Chargers, a complete lack of faith in their defense. Now, the thinking is going into this year, with the addition of Khalil Mack and all the other additions that they made to their defense, is that they're going to have a vastly improved defense, so do not expect the Chargers to have the same mindset of, hey, it doesn't matter the situation or where we are on the field, we're just going to go for it on a fourth down. He basically indicated that was a product of what happened defensively a year ago. So that's interesting.
5: Um, and, you know, it's funny, right? Because I, I guess my question would be, and it's funny because it, it does remind me a little bit of last yesterday when Scott Frost had the onside kick for Nebraska when they're up 28-17. And I think part of it was in his head, he's like, my defense is getting run over right now, and if I can take a three-score lead, then that puts me in a position where Northwestern has to pass the ball, they become one-dimensional. So I bring it up with the Chargers because my question would be, does it change the offensive analytics if defensively – like, because the offensive analytics supposedly, and I'm not an expert, right? If I was, I'd be an NFL head coach. But the concept is it doesn't matter because the data says that in this spot, at this moment in time, whatever, we're going to get it 52% of the time and so it makes it worth going. Do the analytics change if the defense is better? That part I don't know. Because you would think that in theory it it shouldn't, right? Like if if if, you're, if the numbers say that the offense converts this play on 61%, you know, whatever, and that makes it worthwhile, what does that have to do with the defense? So I guess what I would say is I'm not going to say that I know more than the voice of the Chargers because I certainly don't. I just don't know that an improved defense changes the offensive analytics all that much and what they what, what the offensive analytics will say about opportunities like what we've been right. talking about.
4: Right, and putting faith in your quarterback is one thing, but putting him in a position where it's it, the old risk-reward. Is the risk worth the reward? If the risk is, hey, we turn the ball over in our own territory and the reward is simply getting a first down, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I agree. We'll, we'll see how I'm with you on this one, but that was the argument made of why hmm. the chargers and Brandon Staley made all those crazy calls on fourth down a year ago. All right. On the other side, how much value does a punter have to an NFL team? We'll give you the latest on the Matt Ariza situation coming up next.
3: This is it. We've got an Amex platinum pro on our hands. Ladies and gentlemen,
4: Steve Harbin, Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Sunday. Well, one of the big stories out of the NFL today, the Buffalo Bills decided really no surprise to release Matt Ariza in light of all the looming legal problems that he may be facing and is facing right now. After all, he's just a punter. Um, And I have a couple of thoughts. I'm a little closer to this than some because – Uh, I'm in San Diego, and uh, I work for a station that carries San Diego State football. And so Matt Arisa was on our show several times last year, including the day he received the Ray Guy Award as the nation's top punter. Um, Before we get to the legal aspect of his situation, the question about can a punter make a difference? Hmm. There was a legendary story involving the organization I used to work for far beyond uh, earlier than I was working there. The 1973 NFL draft, John Madden was the coach of the Raiders, Al Davis obviously running the draft. And the Raiders decided in the first round to select Ray Guy out of Southern Mississippi. Wow. Who also played safety, by the way, in college, but he was drafted to be a punter having led the nation in punting. And the word was, is that John Madden was so angry that he stormed out of the room. Like, Hmm. he couldn't believe that the Raiders had wasted a first-round pick on a punter. He changed his tune immediately upon the arrival of Ray Guy. Really? Because in just terms of yards per punt, his rookie season was eight yards greater than the punter they had released. and. It's about field position. And Ray Guy, who's the only pure punter in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, is there because he was one of the first, if not the first, where he really changed the dynamic in terms of field position, his ability to just boom the ball and shift an entire field. The Raiders recognized that. Al Davis, always ahead of his time, recognized that. And that's why Ray Guy's in the Hall of Fame was a difference maker. Which brings us to a guy like Matt Ariza. Matt Ariza, a year ago at San Diego State. San Diego State didn't have a much of an offense. They did have some defensive talent. But the reason they won a school record 12 games last year was Matt Ariza, their punter. Hmm. And he became legendary last year. I mean, there was no doubt. Yes. I mean, he was getting national coverage and sports illustrator. I mean, people were writing about this freak that ended up setting the all-time single-season record for putting average. So Matt Ariza is a difference maker as a punter. Now, this brings up the big question. Well, if he's such a difference maker, if he was so much better than everyone else, why was he the third punter taken in this year's draft? We had thought, honestly, Aaron, that he was probably going to go third to fourth round because of his exceptional talent. And he fell to the sixth round. And I thought, what the hell? Are we missing something here? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently now it's leaking out that, indeed, there were some teams that were already hearing some noise that there could be some legal trouble for Matt Ariza. The Bills claimed they had heard no such noise, grabbed him in the sixth round. He had that 82-yard punt that we all saw, that literally the ball left his foot inside his own 10-yard line, and it was a touchback. Hmm. yep. So now the bill's decided that we're going to release him. So where do we stand with Matt Ariza? So the story is a serious story, obviously. It involves a 17-year-old girl and Matt Ariza, who apparently is admitting that he did have some kind of sexual encounter with a 17-year-old, which obviously is against the law in the state of California. And we don't know what's going to happen here. For the bill's. They don't strike me as a team where their season's going to make or break based on a punter. You know, I mean, the Bills are the favorite to win the Super Bowl this year, so I understand this. But the problem here is, for them sort of being in this gray area, is that because this alleged crime happened prior to him being drafted into the NFL, they don't have the same jurisdiction over him as opposed to had it happened after he'd been in the NFL, think of the Joe Mixon situation and the punch that he delivered on that girl. That that video came out two years after the fact when he was at the University of Oklahoma. The NFL had nothing to do with that, and Joe Mixon obviously still making a very comfortable living in the NFL. So my guess is simply this: now again, Ariza claims, and he'll get his day in court that. The idea that there was some gang rape situation or some, you know, way over the top situation, true or not. And I'm certainly not here to pass judgment. We'll see how this all plays out. But if somehow he is cleared of any charges or whatever happens, he has such extreme talent that at some point, believe me, talent always wins out in the NFL and he'll get his chance to prove himself at the NFL level at some point.
5: Well, if it, he's cleared, if he's cleared. Yeah. And that's that's the that's big, a big if. Yeah. Well, it's a big. So let me ask you a dumb question, though. He did still break a law in the state of California. Yes. But, so will but he, he hasn't
4: been charged with a crime yet. But it would be a
5: crime. But he admitted c- to consent. Well, size. apparently
4: there's some kind of audio where he basically admits, yes, I did have a sexual encounter with the girl. But as far as the extenuating circumstances. Sure. And but is it that in, illegal, though? Well, it is illegal. So won't he? Could but he could hasn't da- actually been charged. With crime. Actually, Sam's on top of this. So Sam, there is a civil suit that was filed. Now yes. this alleged situation happened last October. So we're talking now ten months ago that this actually occurred.
9: Right. So the uh, alleged victim's father said that they filed the civil suit to get actually get sort of the ball rolling because the San Diego State University Police Department and the San Diego Police Department. Had not filed charges yet. Right. So and they were like, and they were like, well, well why? The girl had reported this the, the next day and nothing had happened until now. Now, and even the San Diego uh some of the police departments down there in San Diego told the university to hold off on an investigation just until this past July.
4: Well, what's so a lot in- of things are just okay. delayed. All right, Let, let's let's play worst case scenario for Matt Ariza here. Let's say he is convicted of a crime. Let's say he even does time. For this crime. If he comes out of that crime, and we saw this with Michael Vick, who served, what, a year and a half in prison? Yeah. Did you ever think, honestly, Michael Vick would ever see the light of day in the NFL again? I didn't. Mm-hmm. I thought there's no chance that Michael Vick will ever play, especially when it was involving animals and everything else. I said, there's no chance. If he's Talent got, will always win out. Guess, Matt Owiza could serve know. time. But if he shows up and he's still booming the ball 80 yards, now, now is it worth it for a punter? I, is it worth it for a punter?
5: And it would have to be a certain team, right? I mean, if it's, um, you know, let's just use the team we were just talking about, the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, that the, the Brandon Staley starts two and three. You know, like, it's just it has to – I don't think so. I actually disagree with you on this. I, I think that we've reached a moment in time where I think 10 years ago it was you made a mistake, you served your time, you served your punishment, everybody's allowed to make a living. That was the case with Michael Vick. I don't know if that's the case now. I really don't. Well, what, I, what
4: is your stance on the Deshaun Watson situation? There's a, for Two things. One,
5: there's a difference between my stance. My stance is I'd be fine if he never played again.
4: But he wasn't. You're talking about charged with a crime, potential jail time. We have 30-plus women that filed civil suits against him and claimed, according to the New York Post, over 60, 60. William no, women I were involved. I get it. But there was no crime. You're talking about a scenario
5: where he is charged with a crime. Now, if he's not charged with a crime... Well, there may have been a crime, but
4: he wasn't charged with a crime, is what you're saying. I mean, you could you well, you, certainly say that Deshaun he, Watson was involved. I don't know what your definition of oh, crime I think he, is. Oh, I, I think he was. I think the
5: Sue Robinson case basically confirmed that... I, I've said it on these airwaves. Like Sue Robinson basically confirmed the guy is, at worst, a serial sexual harasser of women and much worse. But... He wasn't charged with a crime. You're talking about a scenario where Matt Ariza is charged with a crime, potentially goes to jail. I don't think in the world that we live in now that if you get out of jail, if you're ta- if you're that talented, that somebody's going to take a shot on you. I don't.
4: Uh, I, again, uh, we're talking a punter. We're not talking about a quarterback. Sure. We're talking about a punter. But as I pointed out, how much value does a punter have? Well, if he's a rare talent punter yes. like Matt Arisa is – he me, has value. Believe me, he has value in the NFL. Let me real quick. Do you remember? I'm trying to remember the kid's name, Luke
5: Heimlich. Do you remember the Luke Heimlich story? Okay, National Pitcher of the Year at Oregon State. Yep. Ah, uh, somehow a report gets out that when he was a child, he committed some kind of sexual whatever. Right. And he confessed to it. To get his record expunged at eighteen, somehow it comes out anyway. He claims that he he only confessed to it to get his record expunged. Never got a chance in in in
4: any level of professional baseball. But it's worked both ways. I mean, we mentioned Tyree Kill earlier. There was all kinds of stuff on Tyree Kill for you know. What I would say the difference is
5: that happened like before he was in the national spotlight. Like you know what I mean? Like now it becomes he's the dude. Like, Matt uh, Ariza Matt is the dude that, in the NFL, this came out. If this happened when he was 16, which I guess it might not be a crime, and then he goes to college and then whatever, that's different to me than it coming out when he's already
4: in the NFL. Well, again, if Matt Ariza was an elite quarterback, it would be a different story. And and, agree, and, that and, part, I, and we go back to Jimmy Haslam in his big speech, you know, about uh, after the punishment was laid down on Deshaun Watson saying, well, the fact that he's a quarterback, yeah, it's a little different situation.
5: That is fair. That is mean, fair. I
4: mean, Haslam said that. And he was right. Would this be the same play if he was Joe Nobody? No. He's a star quarterback. So, yeah. Um, all right. We got much more on all this. But first, let's find out what's trending right now. We welcome back. A guy that's never involved in too much controversy. I see too much because there's always a level of controversy uh, surrounding Brian Femmler. <laughs> but do you like that. I mean, you like to stir the drink a little bit. You know, it, it makes for invigorating sports talk. you yes. got to have
7: differing opinions. But to your point about San Diego State and Matariza, his former teammate, Daniel Bellinger, who is now with the Giants, and they're playing the Jets right now in a preseason game. Bellinger is being evaluated for a concussion while Braxton Berrios is finding success.
3: Mike White out of the shotgun. Wide receiver screen caught by Berrios. Breaks a tackle, runs left. To the 15, to the 10, 5. Front left pylon reaches. He's got a Jet touchdown.
7: Jets radio network the score currently 17-10 to 10, Jets over the Giants, Mike White has had two touchdown throws coming in in backup duty after Joe Flacco, who got the start, threw a pick six. White, 142 yards through the air, two touchdowns, and the Giants went with starter Tyrod Taylor at the QB position, and he took a huge hit and then was taken off the field and then carted into the locker room, and the card he was on nearly ran over a security guard on the way into the tunnel, and there's video all over social media of that. They're calling it a back injury for Taylor. His return is questionable. Lions and Steelers are gonna get started here for more preseason play at 4:30 Eastern. Tim Boyle starting at QB for the Detroit Lions, and Mitch Trubisky will get the start at QB for Pittsburgh. NFL Network reporting: Vikings wide receiver BC Johnson will miss the 2022 campaign after tearing his ACL in last night's preseason game. He tore his ACL in the other knee in training camp last season. ESPN notes former Patriots and Lions defensive end Trey Flowers. As a deal in place with the Miami Dolphins in college football, Auburn choosing T.J. Finley, not Finley, Finley. No as relation. The, no relation as Auburn's starting quarterback, according to Brian Harson, who was said to make that announcement official within the next 24 hours. Quickly in Major League Baseball, one score to mention here, the Dodgers are up 6-1 to against the Marlins. Julio Urias, the starting pitcher for Los Angeles, out after six innings, seven strikeouts, one hit allowed. Yes, yeah, 6-1 at the bottom of the seventh now, so good pitching for LA. And finally, the Tour Championship is at it. Scotty Scheffler is your leader. And he is through three holes right now and is plus one, but 22 under overall, a four-shot lead over Sung J M, who is solo second. Two guys that are always first when it comes to sports radio and mutterings about sports chatter. It's Aaron Torres and the
4: great Steve Hartman. Muttering? Well, yeah, I mean, we're muttering. muttering. Uh, well, I mean, on an elite level. Uh, yeah, what okay. he meant. <laughs> we were muttering. On I, an is elite that level. the same yeah. as mumbling?
5: Like, I don't think <laughs> I mumble.
4: Uh, I go long on some answers. I don't think I mumble, though. Uh, Well, we're both capable of filling a lot of airtime just by talking. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) uh, absolutely. Well, one thing uh, that uh, there's a common denominator of most people that engage in this activity, as we do, is that we really are enamored with the sound of our own voice. Um, I I mean, it's amazing. Believe me, I have said many things over these many years that I can look back upon, like, what was I thinking? But I really wasn't at the time. I'm, un- I'm always convinced everything that's coming out of my mouth oh, yeah. is literally the truth of truth. I mean, people are saying, well, do you just say things for you know shock purposes and everything else? I'm like, no, I say things that are on my mind, and I believe everything I'm saying. I and know. at the time, I'm always convinced 100%. But what I'm saying is the absolute truth.
5: People get so mad, they're like, you can't possibly believe that. I'm like, why not? Why not? I'm making
4: an argument. Everything is about backing up whatever you're saying and make an argument of why you believe what you believe. And uh, let me ask you this. So I'm sitting here with Jeff Schwartz a couple of weeks ago. And, Jeff, we are talking about preseason football and why we even still have preseason football. You don't have preseason football in high school. You don't have preseason football in college. This is a, this is going back to the days when the NFL was trying to get guys into football shape because they had offseason jobs and they weren't training 365 days a year. And Jeff said, well, I mean, how many times do you have a quarterback hurt in the preseason? Well, the answer is if you're the Carolina Panthers, apparently every week. Okay. So they lose Matt Corral for the season, and now this ankle injury that Sam Sam Darnold Darnold suffered is extensive and could keep him out at least four to six weeks according to Matt Rule, which now leaves them with one quarterback, Baker Mayfield, (laughs) and a former XFL quarterback, that was a P.J. Walker, whatever. So the idea that you can't get a quarterback hurt in the preseason is ridiculous. It happens all the time. And for the Carolina Panthers, it happened to two of their quarterbacks, which leaves, by the way, Baker Mayfield as last man standing. I want to ask you about Mayfield because I'm always intrigued by this guy. I'm a Mayfield fan. I me know too. he's done some things that are, you know, a little off the wall. I get it. But this guy was a walk on twice yep. in college and ended up walking away with a deserved honor of winning the Heisman Trophy. The thing that always gets me about Baker Mayfield is anytime you put him in a situation where you say he can't, he does. And a year ago was not a fair test for Mayfield. He was never healthy. He tried to fight through it. It was extenuating circumstances. The Browns show no faith. So now he gets this one-year opportunity with the Panthers. Mm-hmm. And who knows? If he has a great year, maybe he stays a Panther. If he doesn't, he's going to look for work. Maybe he ends up as a career backup. But I would not bet against Baker Mayfield. I mean, McCaffrey obviously has to stay healthy for that offense to click. But this is a guy that you keep saying he can't. He constantly finds a way to prove that he can. And I've said this many
5: times on these airwaves is I think he took too many arrows for some of the things that Kevin Stefanski did last year. So I remember, the, if you remember, the Browns played the Packers on Christmas Day last year. And I remember because Christmas Day was a Saturday, myself, Jason Martin were in either right after that game or maybe during the middle of it. And it was the, it was the game where everybody jumped off the ship with Baker Mayfield, where Aaron Rodgers did not play that well, and they kept giving the Browns opportunities to to get back in the game, and Mayfield threw interceptions and made bad plays, and everybody turned on the guy. And I said, but at the same time, you could see that he wasn't healthy. You could see that he probably shouldn't even be playing. And it was on Kevin Stefanski to say, look, you're a starting quarterback in the NFL. You're not going to pull yourself. And so, like you said, he's been doubted, but when he was healthy – Led the Browns to a lot of wins in that rookie season. Of course, the, there was chaos that second year, and then they made the playoffs the third year. And by the way, had that they won a game and they had the Chiefs on the brink in those playoffs. I just bring it up to say, I think he took way too many arrows last year. He wasn't healthy. He shouldn't have been playing. He tried to tough it out for the good of the team. Some of it is on the coaching staff to say, listen, you're a professional athlete. You're not going to pull yourself I need to do this for you. So I'm with you on Baker Mayfield.
4: The only thing that makes me nervous is Matt Rule. Another guy that came in with all this hype, the new ownership of the Panthers was, you know, I'm all in with Matt Rule, despite the fact that he's a college guy. Is he ready for the NFL? It has not panned out. Now, is it fair trying to keep McCaffrey healthy? Obviously, when Christian McCaffrey is healthy, he is an elite running back. But if he's not in the lineup, he's of no use to you. So I'm, I'm, Panther. There's a lot of teams that I'm very, very curious about how their seasons are going to play out, and the Panthers are certainly now. What do you, what are you making the noise that if it doesn't work out with Baker Mayfield, that the uh, Panthers might give Cam Newton a call and bring him back? I mean, they got to sell tickets if they're going to fire the coach, and they're
5: not winning very many games, right? So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, man. I guess I would probably see that when I believe it, but. I think Camp still wants to play. Obviously, he got limited opportunities last year in the regular season. But no, I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, if he got hurt, that's a different story. But I don't think, that, like, I don't see that happening. Well, that would
4: be the act of a desperate coach that probably is going to be shown the door if it doesn't pan out this year in Carolina. All right, I'm going to take a little bit of an early break because on the other side, I want to get into another big quarterback decision in the NFL and why this team decided to go Aaron Torres here. Fox Sports Sunday, week zero of college football. Why do they call it week zero? I mean, come on now. Zero. I mean, if there was like a game, but I mean, because they used to have what the the kickoff classic in East Rutherford years ago. And then what it what it was was what happened
5: yesterday was they'd play like a random game in Australia or some. I remember Stanford played in Australia
4: one year for some reason. So. I don't know. There were eleven games involving FBS schools yesterday. It should be week one. But anyway, technically week one is coming up. We're gonna get to some of that. But we're always already have our mindset as some of the final pieces are in place wrapping up the NFL preseason today. And then we gotta wait. We gotta wait. 10 more days until we get the debut of the NFL season. We got no NFL next week. It's but all we, about college football. But yeah, I was going to say, we got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday,
5: Monday college football. So, yeah, I
4: mean, and, 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 and we like that, right? Yes,
5: and I was going to say, the one thing you mentioned earlier, the NFL kind of acknowledging that college football is its feeder system. I think. The NFL is smart enough to say, college football, you take this weekend. We're going to take every Sunday and everything that matters from here on out. Unlike the NBA, which does not seem to realize that college basketball is a great product that helps grow their game. But I think the NFL is smart enough to be like, you know what? Let's just not play any games. Let's let everybody focus on college football, get to know these guys, and then we'll kick off the
4: phone. And that's exactly where we're going to be next weekend. All right, so let's get back to another NFL story that emerged A quarterback controversy that, honestly, I didn't think was a controversy, but the way it ended up shocked a lot of people, and that's the Seattle Seahawks announcing that Geno Smith has beaten out Drew Locke for the quarterback position. Now, Geno's been in Seattle for a couple of years, so he knew the system a little bit better. And then we had Drew Locke. I think he had a COVID situation. He might have missed a little time. Like, every time I say Geno Smith (laughs) – I, I I told you about this one, Aaron. So it was the alarm clocker. No, 2013. Uh, I'm in New Orleans for the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, the year the Ravens beat the 49ers, and we're also got the backdrop of the upcoming NFL draft, which was still you know three months away. And Geno Smith was making the rounds because he okay. was going to be in that draft. Sure. So Pat uh, O'Brien, Pat O'Brien, and I were doing the show, and Pat had some kind of interview because they had scheduled. Uh, an interview with Geno Smith off air that we were going to tape and then play on the air and Pat had to be somewhere else. So I said, look, I'll just do a one-on-one with Geno Smith. So, you know, coming out of West Virginia, there was all kinds of questions about Geno Smith. Uh, and it seemed like his stock capital was dropping a little bit, but, but finally I sit down with Geno Smith and I'm recording an interview and I asked him this. So Geno, where do you expect to uh, go in the draft? Go ahead. And he he gives me this blank look. Okay. I said, Have you been contacted by any teams? And he looks at me, he goes, Do you not follow sports? <laughs> and I'm looking at him like, Have I missed something? He goes, The fact that I'm gonna be the first pick in the draft? I believe. And I mean, he is saying like are you the only person on the yes, planet that has it. not heard that I'm already <laughs> locked into the number one overall pick in this draft? I mean, he was, I thought he was joking, but it turned out he was looking, like, looking at me like, you are the dumbest person I've ever done an interview with. So I'm like, wow, so you've already talked to people? He goes, I don't. And he, go, and he basically, he almost ended the interview. Wow. So as it turned out, of course, he was the 39th pick in that draft and uh, was the only guy sitting in that green room Mm -hmm. at the end of day one. It was a very embarrassing situation. So every time I hear about Geno Smith, I can't think about anything other than that and the fact that basically he built his numbers at West Virginia throwing five-yard bubble screens to Tavon Austin, who would then go 80 yards for a touchdown and pad uh, Geno's numbers. Remember that? A little bubble screens to... Yeah, Tavon Austin. So why why do you believe ultimately he won this job? Because from what I'm understanding, the reason he won his job is that Drew Locke lost the job. Like, Drew Locke is that bad that he lost this job to
5: Geno Smith. Yeah, first of all, I'm going through that draft, and I remember it at the time being like – you know, oh, Geno Smith's a lot, and I was like, why? Why is he a lock? Like, you know, and, wasn't and, that
4: the manual year where he was the first quarterback taken? Well, Eric Fisher went number one overall, right?
5: Luke Jokel number two. Wasn't uh, much of a draft. No, Tavon Austin, as you said. Let's see, the first quarterback off the board was EJ, EJ Manuel, sixteenth yeah. overall, the Bills. So with the Seahawks, um, yeah, it, it's just been a weird summer, right? I mean, like, so you trade uh, Patrick Mahomes, you trade Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. I mean, this guy has been gassing up Drew Locke. Like, oh my good. No, you know, we really like Drew Locke. We really like Drew Locke. So what does it really mean? I don't know. I think they're probably like, is it fair to say, are they the least relevant team in the NFL? Like, like, I don't know one reason other than to watch
4: the other team that
5: I'm going to be excited to watch well, the Seahawks this year.
4: they're relevant in terms of what's coming up for them. Sure, of course. So you pick up extra draft capital in dealing off Russell Wilson. Their on wins is five and a half. I mean, it, it it could be a real ugly year in Seattle, but is that by plan? It feels like it. I mean, I go back to the Indianapolis Colts. When they conveniently, after Peyton Manny had a sit out a year, bottomed out, ended up with the number one pick in the draft, got Andrew Luck, and were right back in the playoffs. Yep. You know, it, it's a little weird because you have a 70 year old coach and Pete Carroll, but you know, he sort of defies his age a little bit here. But if you look at Seattle's situation with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and other quarterbacks due to be high draft picks a year from now, Is it the worst thing for them to bottom out? Because let's say they even in a position where maybe you're the fifth or sixth pick in the draft. But remember, you added draft capital where you can move up a few slots to get the first or second pick in the draft. Somehow, I got a feeling as bad as this year projects to be for the Seahawks, come 2023, it's going to work out for them. Well, they're definitely going to have a rookie quarterback.
5: And I think the other thing, too, is people are saying, and I hate this talk, but, you know, that this quarterback draft is so deep, not just with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, but there's other guys, Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, uh, Will Leavis from Kentucky, whatever. So you don't even have to be the worst team, right? Like, there's certain years, like, Trevor Lawrence is the guy. There's only one team that's going to take him. So they are irrelevant for the reason that they are trying to be irrelevant. So I think that makes them interesting. But I look at everybody else, right? Like... I still think like everyone except for maybe the Falcons, like the the Panthers are trying to win, the Saints with Jameis Winston are trying to win, the Jets might stink, but they're trying to win, Jacksonville's trying to win, Uh, the Seahawks seem to be maybe along with Atlanta the only team that's like, yeah, you know, whatever, We'll, we'll see where the season takes us, so... I really couldn't care less about this quarterback spot, but it is interesting. Geno Smith, your buddy, uh, winning the job, probably not a good sign. Because we saw Geno Smith last year. We saw him last year, and we saw what he is and is not capable of. It was funny, when, by the way, when Russ Wilson got hurt on that Thursday night game when all of America had the same reaction of, "Oh, I didn't know Geno Smith was still in the league." When he came in for Russell Wilson, it was unbelievable. Everyone remember, had
4: the same reaction. Remember, the Giants ended Eli Manning's streak because they had to put Geno Smith at that start. That's right. Remember I forgot that about that. I mean, Geno's had an interesting career, I have to say. But I, I any time I see this guy, anytime I hear the name, I, I, the look on his face to me, like when I asked him, "So, any idea where you're going to be in the draft?" and well, remember when he missed up he messed up his alarm clock cuz he didn't understand time zones. That was an all-time uh, excuse for being late. All right, uh, John Paul Morosi is going to join us in the next hour to talk some MLB and what's the latest news out of the NBA? We got that coming up next. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation.
3: Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app search FSR to listen live.
4: Rolling on here on a beautiful Sunday. Steve Harbin and Aaron Torres with you. I'm actually looking at the leaderboard right now. Final round of this tour championship. $18 million at stake for the winner. And I I thought Scotty Scheffler was like a lock. And all of a sudden, he's coming back to the pack. This lead is just two over M right now. And there's Rory McIlroy, Cantlay, Shoffley. man. Really good finish there for a little golf today. So uh, Very quickly. I don't mind that, yes. Where are you at on Live Golf? My, my attitude about Live Golf is simply this. Uh, I think Live Golf has already sparked uh, the PGA Tour to do a few things. The idea that now you will not walk away empty-handed if you miss a cut. I and mean, this has been always the crazy thing about golf. There's no sport like it where yep. you literally have to earn your money. Yep. Um, you don't make golf. the cut, you get nothing. And you pay for your own travel. And you pay for your lodging. own travel and everything else. So uh, I think the Live Tour is forcing the PGA to make some changes. I understand right now Jay Monahan, the head of the PGA Tour, is saying, well, we're not bringing guys back that are suing us. But I but think would they when, be even be able to get out of their Live Golf contracts? I don't think they would. I... Look, I At yeah. some point, I think – because you you don't want to be losing elite players if you're the PGA Tour. All of them. And, again, a yeah. lot of it also depends on what stance the majors take next year. That's such a big topic. So big the, st- you know, when the major golf championships – and it's going to be a domino effect because they're all independent mm-hmm. of the PGA Tour, the Live Tour, the European Tour. They're all independent. They have no direct tie to any of the uh, tours out there and you just see that, you know, and each one are individual of each other. So whatever they decide, because that's legacy. That's, that, so that's yes. that's. I mean, there's money and then there's legacy. And legacy is built on how you play in major golf championships. When I,
5: so I, I was always a believer once the first guy goes in, takes the arrows for everybody else, then other guys will follow. That's exactly what happened to Phil Mickelson. But when I was convinced that they were going to be able to get players was when I found out that they're still allowed to play in the major championships. I said, no, listen, no disrespect. I grew up in Connecticut. We have the Travelers Championship every year. It's a great event. Nobody cares about the Travelers Championship. Nobody cares about – I can't even name events that aren't – is the Firestone Classic still a thing in Akron or whatever? Nobody really cares about that. They care about the U.S. Open, the Masters. I still call it the British Open. I know I call it the Open Championship, Whatever. They care about that, and if they're still going to be able to play in it, oh, so I can go make generational money uh, uh, over there and still play in the tournaments that the average fan cares about. Uh, sign me up! And so that was where I was curious: was if at any point the you know Augusta National, the U.S. Open, somebody would step in and not allow them to play in those events.
4: My guess is, is that these major golf championships which depend on the idea that the best of the best are competing for the biggest championships, they're not going to expel the live golfers. They're just not. I agree. You know how many former Masters champions now are on the live tour? And remember, you win a Masters, you have a a lifetime ticket to play in the Masters. You're going to eliminate all those people? No way. No way. So my guess is that at some point, the live tour and the PGA tour and the European tour, whatever it's called these days, They're going to have to figure out how to coexist, and they're going to compete for talent based on how much money they are throwing out there. And by the way, this is nothing new in sports. We've had renegade leagues go up against the NBA and the NFL way in the past, and how did they get off the ground? They offered more money to try to get talent. So this is nothing new. Um, So the PGA Tour just has to accept the fact that, A, the Live Tour is not going anywhere, and ultimately if the major golf championships decide hey we're good everybody's welcome to qualify now the other thing is the world golf rankings sure right now the world golf rankings do not recognize the live tour well if you're on the live tour and your world golf ranking which in a lot of cases determines whether you qualify to play in a major golf championship if you fall off the map there that's a different story so anyway really quick i was just going to say i
5: didn't realize how many former uh, Masters champions are on the live Ch- tour. So 2011, Charles Schwartzel wins. He's on the live tour. Yeah. 2012, Bubba Watson. 2014, Bubba Watson. 2017, Sergio Garcia. 2018, Patrick Reed. 2021, Dustin Johnson. That's right. incredible. Yeah, I, I didn't I realize it was that yeah. many. Yeah,
4: I mean, that's a lot of and, – and you forgot Phil Mickelson.
5: Well, Phil was, you know, back in the day. Uh, 2010, so 2010. Right. So since 2010, uh, there's been one, two, three, four, five, six – Seven, right. seven of what? Right, 12? Because there was uh-huh. no masters technically in twenty twenty. Right.
4: So, so uh, yeah, I, I my guess is they're going to force uh, the PGA Tour to make decisions. They're not going to make it for them. All right. I want to talk because we're going to have John Paul Morosi coming up here in our next segment. Gets us some Major League Baseball talk. But I want to talk to uh, you about the current situation with the Brooklyn Nets. Sure. So when it came out. That you know, Kyrie Irving was still in limbo. They hadn't picked up his player option, and there was all this buzz that he was going to become a Los Angeles Laker. And suddenly Kyrie gets his option picked up by or you know, by the Nets. And immediately Kevin Durant said, Well, I want out. Even though he has four years remaining on his contract. And I'm 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 arguing with people on the air. Well, that's it. He'll get traded. I'm like, why? Joe Sy paid a record, $3.3 billion, to buy the Brooklyn Nets. And he did so to play the game. What did he do? He immediately got Durant. He got Kyrie Irving. He got James Harden. Ended up trading Harden to get Ben Simmons, whatever. This guy is not just, you know, talking the talk. He's walking the walk. He wants to win an NBA championship. Why would he trade Kevin Durant? What is he going to get in return that's the equal of Kevin Durant? Well, he's got to trade him because Durant wants to get traded. Not unless they get, oh, you'll see, they'll trade him. What's it been, four months now? Kevin Durant is still very much a net. So is Kyrie Irving. So is Ben Simmons right now. They're not going anywhere. What do you make of this situation? So first of all, I, I felt like, you know, everyone in our business were quick to
5: overreact to everything. I was kind of surprised. I felt like there was an underreaction to Kevin Durant just literally getting dunked on by his owner and just, he goes to his owner, I want to be traded. Owner says no. Well, I'll stay if you fire the GM and the coach. The owner says no. And then a month later he kind of, okay, we're going to work on this together. And it's like, you just got dunked on. Like your owner just, you know, kind of puts you in your place. So I'm not surprised. A couple things stand out. What I I do think I was surprised by, Steve, first of all, Hate to pat myself on the back. I don't hate to pat myself. I love to pat myself on the back. Of course you do. But I I was on air with Jason Martin during game three of the ultimate sweep against the Celtics, and I did say at that time, I said, the player empowerment era, it's dead. Lakers are out of the playoffs. Clippers are out of the playoffs. Never made the playoffs in both cases. Nets are about to get swept. The era of just giving over your entire team, your entire organization to superstars, I think it's done. I've been proven correct. What I have been surprised by with the Kevin Durant stuff, and maybe I shouldn't be, but I am is the other teams that are seemingly not willing to just give up. Because I think they see, other teams see Golden State, they see Boston, they see Memphis, a cohesive group on the court that believes in the front office, believes in the coaching staff, believes in the vision that has been put in place for them. And so I know there were certain trade restrictions and this guy couldn't get traded because of Ben Simmons and whatever. I am surprised that other teams basically said, Kevin Durant might be the most talented basketball player on the planet right now but we're not blowing this thing up because he has a track record of being unhappy after one year. And then we're going to have to blow up whatever we've built uh,
4: to get him. And then we're going to have to blow it up again in a year or two when he's unhappy. Well, and what, let's go back when he said, I want to be a Phoenix Sun. And I'm thinking to myself, why would the Phoenix Suns literally got their entire roster except for Chris Paul and Devin Booker to get Kevin Durant? Mm-hmm. They won 64 games last year. Well, do you honestly think they get rid of everybody else on their roster, whatever is necessary, plus, you know, their drafts for the next, you know, six years because you can't trade consecutive number one picks. So it's like you got to skip a year and the flipping of picks and everything else. Why would they do that? Yeah, Does that well, make them – well, you know, Kevin Durant could be a difference maker. And I'm like, the last time I saw Kevin Durant on the court, his team got swept by the Celtics, yep. and they neutralized him in that series. Well, don't tell me about that. And by the way, the team that he did win a championship with a team that was, I mean, when you look at the Warriors winning the championship, Steph Curry is past his prime. Klay Thompson hadn't played in two full years. Draymond Green is on his last breath. And they still won a championship. And you know why they won the championship, though? It's because
5: they had a decision to make, like the Lakers and like some of these other teams have had a decision to make where... They were starting to lose. They were starting to, guys were starting to get hurt. Clay is out for a year. Then he's out for another year. Steph is out for an extended period of time. And they could have made the decision. We got all these draft picks. If it was LeBron, if it was KD, if it was whoever, trade them all. Get me this guy. I want to win right now. And I give the Warriors so much credit. I've been critical of the Warriors through the years, but I give them so much credit. They had a plan. They stuck to it. We're going to draft young guys. We're going to give, get these young guys in to you know add fresh
4: legs to to give you guys a little bit of a break. I give them a ton of credit. Let me ask you this: Players win uh, championships or organizations win championships? You know, uh, you
5: you have to have a baseline level of talent. I, I lean towards organizations. I, I mean, really there do. is
4: a reason why certain organizations win, including the Dodgers. There's an organization that well, seems to be pushing all the right buttons. We were talking about it earlier with quarterbacks.
5: I mean, how many quarterbacks do the Jets have to draft before we realize it's not Zach Wilson, it's not Sam Darnold, it's not this guy? Maybe it's the Jets. Maybe it's the Jaguars. May- Why are the same four or five teams drafting a quarterback every three years?
4: All right, we're going to flip the page and talk some Major League Baseball on the other side. We're going to check in with our Fox Sports Radio MLB insider, John
0: Paul who will join us coming up next.
4: Aaron Torres here. By the way, it's getting a little tighter in golf right now. Scheffler's lead is down to one. M and Rory McIlroy. Golf? I know. Golf. Well, we got some big names out here, but Scotty Scheffler, what do you have, like a five-shot lead going into today? World's number one, ready to cash. That's a lot of money, though, when you think about it. $18 million. It's a good, good chunk, you yeah. You a little extra change in your pocket. That just seems staggering to me. You, I know you play any golf? Do you play? No, um, yeah.
5: I'm one of those. I actually heard again in that Kevin O'Connell interview that 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 Colin did with uh, the Minnesota Vikings coach. They asked about Sean McVay, and he said Sean McVay doesn't pl- play golf because he's so competitive that if he can't be good, mm. that and I'm the same way. It's like if I'm not, if there's not a window to me to get really good at it, I'm just not
4: doing it. All so. right. Well, he has. This guy has is good at everything he does because he wears a multitude of hats. He works with the MLB network. He works with the NHL network every once in a while. He humbles himself to be part of Fox Sports Radio as our MLB insider, and then further humbles himself by coming on this radio program every single Sunday. And we are indeed honored every time he comes on, the one, the only. John Palmarosi. Am I right, JP? I mean, you have a lot of things going on in your life, but to take a little time out of your Sunday to hang out with us. Now, are you in Williamsport still? Are you still hanging out with the Little
10: League World Series? That's a great question, guys. And First of all, I uh, really appreciate the invitation and the kind introduction, as you always uh, provide. Too kind, my friends. It's always great catching up with you. Uh, Steve and Aaron, but I, I am not there right now. I, I spent the weekend there last weekend. Little League Classic was extraordinary. Uh, loved it. I got a chance then on Monday to do the Subway Series in New York, so that was another dream come true to be there. But I, I know it's been a great tournament there in Williamsport, certainly a great championship game uh, going today. And I know also Aaron's got a big week ahead right now with college football starting up, so I'm uh, really excited that, uh, that Notre Dame-Ohio State game for a uh, For a Midwesterner like myself, uh, I'm going to be watching that game very carefully Saturday night. I I know uh, what a special game it's going to be for the great Marcus Freeman. I think he's an outstanding choice to lead Notre Dame. And for him to be uh, coaching against his alma mater in his first regular season game, leading the Irish pretty special. So that's going to be a great matchup there on Saturday night.
1: We were
4: talking earlier, Aaron and I, uh, JP, about organizations versus talent. I mean, they sort of seem to go hand-in-hand, organizations recognizing talent, putting the right pieces together. But right now you're looking at Major League Baseball and – there are just certain organizations running away with things. I mean, it starts with the Dodgers. I mean, the Mets this year are 36 games over 500. The Astros are 34 games over 500. The Yankees at one point were well over that mark. When it comes to success in baseball, how much is it just talent? And how much is it really at the top? Do organizations really dictate the way they're run, the success the team ultimately has?
10: I think they do, and that's why here we are in hiring season again for Major League Baseball, and the big question would be who can be found and hired at a spot like the Detroit Tigers. They're looking for a GM, and when the Angels are sold and when the Nationals are sold, what are their guiding principles going to be and what what makes an organization special like the Dodgers. I think everybody wants to be the Dodgers. Now, not everybody has the Dodgers payroll and resources, but they all want to be able to to build players and develop players like the Dodgers do. And that's why they've been close to unbeatable, not in an individual game, but just over over time, over a decade. They've been the best team in baseball over the last decade. And the reason is they can spend on the right free agents. They can trade for Trey Turner. They can sign Freddie Freeman, they can trade for Besson and sign him. And and they constantly have the prospects you need to make trades and then the budget you need to sign a Freddie Freeman. When you do those two things, it's sustainable success. And I think one thing that the Dodgers have done, I think broadly speaking around the game, is they have made sustainable success cool. There used to be a time where it was all about boom and bust and, and try to win the championship, go all in for it and win it, and then tear it down if you have to. And that's not the way the Dodgers have done things. They have said no to some things. They've been in there pursuing players, whether it was a Juan Soto in a trade or a Bryce Harper in free agency or years gone by and Cole Hamels in a, in a trade. Well, the reason why they didn't get Hamels was was the Phillies wanted some combination of Urias, Bellinger, and Seager. Well, Now we know why they didn't make the trade. So I I think that discipline is is what plays, and and developing your own players is what plays. The Dodgers do that, I believe, better than any other team. The results are there. They've made the playoffs every year since 2013, and they've got a world championship in the mix there to to hang their hat on. So that is what everybody who is trying to rebuild or retool, that's what all of them eventually want to achieve. But it's easier said than done because – very few teams, maybe even only the Yankees and Mets, have that same level of financial resources plus the potential infrastructure to build from within. And I would say the Dodgers have greater organizational depth than either the Yankees or the Mets.
5: JP Steve mentioned a bunch of teams running away with their divisions, including the Mets. Uh, for people who who don't follow this stuff on a day-to-day basis, like you, you know the Yankees is pretty self-explanatory, right? Aaron Judge. Stanton, Garrett Cole, high price free agents. Dodgers have been doing this for a while. The Mets, we know they they added Buck Showalter, uh, you know, as a manager in the the off season. Obviously, Max Scherzer coming in. What has been the secret sauce for the Mets to allow them to have this uh, drastic, incredible turnaround?
10: Great pitching, and I think Max Scherzer's been part of that, but not the only reason why. Taiwan Walker has been there, and I think been a really reliable uh, arm for them during the course of the season when he's been healthy. They've been able to get by for a long period of time where they didn't have necessarily Scherzer and DeGrom all at the same time. But Chris Bassett has had a pretty solid year for the New York Mets. Edwin Diaz in the bullpen, I think is having what you would describe as an MVP candidate type of a year. I don't think he'll win it, but I think that he might get votes. And if you look at it and if you were to ask someone who's around the Mets every day, who has been the most important player on your roster all season long, the answer to that question might well be Edwin Diaz. It's not a classic MVP argument necessarily because we usually talk about games played and and the way that we usually tabulate whether it starts by a starter or or runs batted in for a for a position player traditionally. But I think Diaz what he has done and given them that consistency has been as important as almost any other Player And, of course, you've got Pete Alonso, who you really rely on for his run production. He's been up there in, in the league leaders, both in home runs and RBI this season. I think he's probably been their offensive MVP. And, and I, I love that when you look at the Mets, Francisco Lindor has not had to carry the team. He's been a piece. He's been part of why they've been good. Brandon Nimmo is always on base. Jeff McNeil gives you a really, really good at-bat from the left side. So I, it hasn't been, I think, aside from Alonzo, a player with eye-popping offensive numbers, but it's been a deep rotation, a lights-out, top-of-the-line, closer in Diaz, and then a really solid-run producer, Pete Alonzo, surrounded by what I think has been a pretty deep offense.
4: 1937, that was the last time a nationally player won the Triple Crown, your favorite player, my favorite player, JP. That was Joe Medwick back in the day, mm. great Hall of Famer, uh, Ducky Wucky uh, Medwick. Um, Paul Goldschmidt now is in a position where he might become the first nationally player to win the triple crown since 1937. Can you put a little perspective on the career of Paul Goldschmidt who obviously right now is a runaway favorite to win his first MVP award? He's been second in that voting a couple of times. He's been third. He's had a lot on his resume, but give us a little perspective on the career to date of Paul Goldschmidt.
10: I think Steve, for me, he is on his way to the Hall of Fame. He has put together a a first chapter of his career that is worthy of the Hall. Uh, It's a crowded position uh, around the major leagues right now when you think about potential Hall of Famers. Miguel Cabrera spent a lot of his career at first base. He'll go to the Hall of Fame, I believe, Joey Votto will as well. But Goldschmidt, I think one of the key things about his career that stands out to me has always been his base running. He has been an excellent base runner. So you add in, it's been an elite defense, in my opinion, smart player, great run producer, durable player for a long time, power, and then you add on top of that a great base runner. So I I think for me, whenever you're in the Triple Crown conversation on a team that's going to win their division, because as you've seen since the trade deadline, the Cardinals have really distanced themselves from the Milwaukee Brewers. He's checked every box. And so the way that he's gone about it has been maybe a little subtle. He's never been someone that's commanded a lot of headlines in terms of the way he plays the game. He's someone that the more you watch him, the more you appreciate him. And I think on that score, um, now you you look up and see where he ranks among the, the, the career leaders of that position, at least among players this century, let's say. And he's been a first class person on and off the field. So uh, a lot of admiration for Goldschmidt and, Uh, To win a Triple Crown, I think, would just get the attention more focused on what his all-around excellence always has been.
5: Last one for me, JP. Uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of a proverbial curveball at you. You know, Steve said you're great at many things, and you brought up college football. So uh, you live in Michigan. I'm not asking you for any crazy insight. But did you see the story where Jim Harbaugh plans on starting two different quarterbacks in Week 1 and Week 2 – uh, Kate McNamara in week one, J.J. McCarthy in week two, and then making a decision after that. Do you have any thoughts as a guy who lives in Michigan? I know you love Michigan He football. is a
4: diehard Michigan fan. Uh,
5: I know he's on the road, too. I know you're you're doing the baseball thing, so it's not as though you have time to to overanalyze the depth chart, but I was just curious for your thoughts on that, J.P.
10: It's a really interesting decision, and a, a couple things stand out to me. Number one, in, in McNamara, you've got your captain, so it'd be hard for him to be elected captain by the players and not be on the field when you begin your season at Michigan Stadium. That's one piece of this for me. The other part of it, with McCarthy, he he gives you a different look, and I I think that it, it allows Michigan, and I think part of this is they're not playing Notre Dame to begin the season, they're not playing Ohio State in their first game. They should be able to get good looks at both quarterbacks and see what they can do. It allows you to get sort of good tape out there, so to speak, on both of them, And that way defensive coordinators have more in their mind to have to prepare for. You're sort of putting different looks out there that other teams have to have in mind all season long. I think that's a positive thing. And I also think uh, on some level, Aaron, and you know this because of of how closely you cover the college game with, with transferring being there and and the the ease of the transfer portal. And you've got a player McCarthy who's a talented player. He he would probably start at 90% of, of universities across, um, the, the FBS right now, I, I, give them a start. I mean, I mean, I, I, at some level, you got good players, play them. I, and I think that nowadays, when you look at how much has changed in college athletics and transfer portal, the um, the name image and likeness, all those different dynamics, it, it's a different game. Players have more say than they've ever had, which I think is a good thing. And so when you look at that, you have to adjust. It, it, it can't just be, well, adjusting for a coach can't just be, well, we've got to, two different offensive uh, packages with a 10 position and a 12 formation, whatever, you know, it, it can't just be the schematic stuff. You have to handle your players differently. This is probably not how Jim Harbaugh would have handled it 20 years ago. But guess what? It's not 20 years ago. It's a, it's a different world that we're in. And so I, I think from that perspective, he's handling it the right way. A little more transparency is good. You get your players involved. And I'm, I'm a big believer that in sports you have a you have good chemistry when everybody on your roster within reason, feels like they've got ownership of how things are going. And I think rather than having McCarthy be bummed out after the first announcement and, and sort of there being a schism in your dressing room, you've got a better, a better feeling now. Everybody's going to get their opportunity. So I think it, it's a unique way to do it when you look at the, the history of the game but I think that it, this is Jim Harbaugh doing a pretty good job of adjusting to his present reality.
4: Well, JP, when we check in with you next week, I'm going to predict that your Wolverines will have at least one victory under their belt. They're 27 point favorites at home against Colorado State. All right, so you should have that victory under your belt when we talk next week.
10: I, I, I would say so, and and I think I'm telling you that to see Ohio State and Notre Dame playing as well, it's just it's it's great. It's great theater. Uh, that's a rivalry that has never really had the chance to develop because Ohio State never really wanted to schedule Notre Dame uh, because of the number of Notre Dame fans that live in Ohio that never really wanted to sort of leave the state, if you will. And so to see that game scheduled now, just people who appreciate the history of the game, guys, as we all do, it's special. And I'm, I'm excited for that game on Saturday night as well.
4: JP, as always, you are the best of the best. We appreciate it every single Sunday. We'll talk to you next week. All the best, guys. Thank you. It really enjoyed the conversation. That Thank is you, uh, John Paul Morosi. Now he is a Michigan man through and through, but he took a detour in college. Okay. Uh, he ended up having to settle to go to Harvard. Oh, really? Yeah, John Paul went to Harvard. I didn't know that. Yeah, he no he he went to Harvard, but he almost never mentions it. Like he is I a kn- I've known know him for ten years. A I had Michigan no idea. Wolverine fan through and through. He's a big Tigers guy. He's a Michigan man through and through. He just said he did a little four-year detour and went to uh, Harvard and okay. then came home. You know. So
5: by the way, did you see the schedule where the yeah. the quarterback will be decided?
4: Game three. When you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks, right? Isn't that what the old saying is?
5: I do think this is sort of the exception, and I think, J.P., my analysis of it is the same as his, is you have the established starter, the other guy has the higher upside, and then you got to be careful. If you don't play him at all, he hits the portal. But game three, when the decision
4: will be made, that's when the UConn Huskies walk into the Very quickly, how stunned are you under Jim Harbaugh that there hasn't been any standout quarterback at Michigan?
3: It's I mean, the they story. just have
4: guys it's
3: playing the, the position. It's I mean, unbelievable. No, it's. I unbelievable. mean,
4: that's that's the one thing we assumed Jim Harbaugh was going to bring to the University of Michigan was a little higher level of quarterback play, well, and at least to this point, we haven't seen it. And what's wild is.
5: Ohio State, which was kind of a ground and pound team for so long, they've turned into quarterback you with obviously, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the late Dwayne Haskins, uh, Justin Fields, and now CJ Stroud, the potential number one pick next year.
4: All right, let's find out what's trending right now. A guy that excels just like JP. I don't know if you went to Harvard uh, the way he did. Where'd you go, Fenley Memphis? Uh, so,
7: well, I worked in, in local television in Memphis, but I actually went to college at UNC Greensboro. Whoa! Nice! nice. What so, are they, the yeah. Hornets? They are the Spartans. Yeah, I was close. yeah. They should have hornets, of Spartans. Yeah, I mean, the same thing. Yeah. How dare you take Michigan <laughs> State? I mean, Michigan State took that mascot from us. I mean, let's be honest. Right. Hey, don't
9: actually. forget about San Jose State.
7: Oh, yeah.
4: yes. Do they go to refer them as Sparty the way the Spartans do? Somewhat.
7: They don't yeah. go to it as often, but they've had decent basketball. They almost beat Gonzaga a couple years ago in the NCAA tournament. And yeah. Our head coach, Wes Miller, went over to Cincinnati. That's so, right. Yes. Hey,
9: Fenley, what's your connection to Ole Miss? I've always wondered. Yeah, about that.
7: so my sister and my dad went there. Oh,
4: okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so he's born in the Ole Miss sometimes. Well, yeah, I, I can pick it up in his accent. Every oh, time you yes. hear Brian Fenley, a lot of Mississippi in you. Well, you, you guys brought up Harvard. Brian <laughs> Ole, Miss is,
7: <laughs> Ole Miss is considered the Harvard of the South. <laughs> yes. and, and I'm not just making that up.
6: Uh,
4: so I take was that was Vanderbilt. Okay, yeah. Oh. The Harvard of Oxford, Mississippi? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that <laughs> what they call it? Oh, we all come from somewhere, don't we? Yes. We all come from somewhere. Yes. Yeah.
7: So, NFL preseason, we're wrapping things up here on that front today. And the Giants are currently leading 24-17 to against the Jets inside nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Now, this, despite the fact that Tyron Taylor, who started the game at quarterback for... The Giants got knocked out of this game early with a back injury. Davis Webb stepping in and doing a pretty admirable job. 139 yards passing one touchdown throw. Joe Flacco started for the Jets and, well, he threw a pick six. And when he gets out of the pocket, that seems to be what happens. And that's what definitely was the case here. Now, Mike White played a significant amount of time in this one 13 to 17 as far as his completions and 170 yards and two scores one to Jeff Smith and the other to Braxton Berrios there is another game tonight 4:30 eastern time tonight if you're more so on the east coast 4:30 eastern it's Lions and Steelers Tim Boyle the pride of Aaron Torres and yeah, he's going to be the quarterback for Detroit and this one starting. And then Mitch Trubisky starting at QB for Pittsburgh. As far as Major League Baseball, we do have a couple of games of notable status that are going on. The Rays are leading 8-3 against the Red Sox with Isak Paredes with two home runs top of the sixth there. The Angels all over the Blue Jays 3-1. That ball game is in the top of the seventh. Max Scherzer pitching a gem. He's got ten strikeouts here for the Mets. And they, though, are trailing 1-0 to the Rockies. And also trailing would be the Phillies, Noah Sindergaard, nine hits allowed, five earned runs, and the Pirates. Yeah, the Pirates are beating the Phillies five to nothing in the top or the bottom of the sixth. And one notable final, the Dodgers just devour the Marlins, eight to one. 14 hits for LA, and how many did Miami have? Just two. As Julio Urias pitched a one hit six inning affair and got the win easily there also as Steve brought up the tour championship is in progress and Scotty Scheffler has gotten a birdie, Yeah, he picked up a birdie on eight, so now he's got a one-shot lead over Rory McElroy. For a while, they were both tied at 20 under overall in this final round, but McIlroy is there on a tear through this front nine, Steve and Aaron. Oh. Three under through eight, Scheffler is plus two through eight, and keep in mind that Scheffler had to finish up his third round today because of weather yesterday, so he's playing more than 18 holes, but can I see, and can we all see, as I send it back to Steve Hartman and Aaron Torres, Scheffler, Will he pull it out? The world number one. And for now, guys, he's in on the PGA Tour. Not live. So, hopefully, we'll see what happens. But $18 million if he pulls this out. not a well That's
4: not a bad gig. I mean, they got some great paydays, obviously, especially in advance money for yeah. some of these golfers. And, you know, they hand Scotty Sheffield, I don't know, $100 million just to join the tour. Mm-hmm. But... $18 million is at stake today, and Scheffler, yeah, after getting caught by McElroy, uh, reassumes a one-shot lead. We're watching the golf right now, so uh, thank you, Brian. As always, appreciate your input. All right, coming up on the other side, I don't know if you know this, Aaron. I did not know that. But oh, sorry, sorry. I don't know if you know this, but I have a Heisman vote. Now, I, I rarely have ever, ever talked about my, that. <laughs> my status as a Heisman voter. Actually, I do it every second of every day. Um, I, I, I want to get your thoughts, though, as we head into the college football season uh, in terms of dark horses. Because on the other side, I'll explain why everyone you think should win the Heisman in 2022 will not win the Heisman in 2022. Coming up next. Steve Harbin, Aaron Torres here on Fox Sports Sunday. So, if you're a college football fan, next week is your week. No NFL football. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday—all college football. No interruption from the NFL. Oh yes. So, yes! Uh, yes! we get ready to start this 2022 season. There's always things we talk about before the season begins which teams will end up in the college football playoff, and who will hoist the most recognizable sports trophy in America, which is the Heisman Trophy. You think anybody could see a picture of the Heisman Trophy and not know the actual trophy? If you're a sports fan, then the answer is no. I mean, it is the most recognizable actual trophy uh, in American sports. So uh, I look back, and I've been voting since 2010 Cam Newton's year, but since 2009, the last 13 winners of the Heisman Trophy, only two, Marcus Mariota in 2014 and Baker Mayfield in 2017, were on anybody's preseason list as a prime contender to win the Heisman Trophy. The rest... Mark Ingram, 2009, Cam Newton in 2010, RG3, 2011, Johnny Manziel, Jameis Winston, 2012, 2013, Derrick Henry, 2015, Lamar Jackson, 2016, and your last four winners, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, Devontae Smith, Bryce Young. None of these guys were considered favorites or even on the radar to win the Heisman Trophy. So odds are as we look at the odds with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, uh, you know Will Anderson. I mean, there's some names on this list that are showing up everywhere. Caleb Williams transferring from Oklahoma to USC. So you follow the college game closely. I want to get your thoughts because I just showed you what what can happen here. Somebody that just is not on the radar that at the season end is going to be handed a giant trophy. Can you see such a player this year?
5: Well, that's not on the radar. I don't know about not on the radar. I think there's some guys, you know, I think part of it is, and, and the thing with the Heisman is the story, right? It's You know, you have to have great numbers, but the Joe, Joe Burrow story was incredible. Johnny Manziel's story was incredible. So, you know, I, I look at the, the long shot odds. I mean, a couple guys that stand out to me, and they're not that long shot. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver at, at Ohio State. Do you remember the Rose Bowl, Steve Hartman? guy had 350 yards receiving yeah and that was after they lost two first rounders and those two guys alave and garrett wilson said he was the best guy in that receiver room right they have plenty of talent around him but i could just see the scenario where he goes crazy starting week one against notre dame and
4: by the way a lot of people say well wait a second if he has those kind of numbers it's really in the wheelhouse for uh for stroud but Look what happened with Devonte Smith. Mac Jones was first team all-American. Mm-hmm. He almost set a record that year for completion percentage, but Devonte Smith's numbers were so extraordinary. Yep. He got the votes instead mm-hmm. of his quarterback. Yeah, I agree. Dylan Gabriel 30 to 1 the quarterback at Oklahoma.
5: I don't think people realize. So First of all, the same coordinator that he has at Oklahoma basically was his coordinator when he was at Central Florida. Last time he played college football for a full season, COVID year, wasn't even a full season. Ten games, 32 touchdowns, 3,500 yards passing. You do some quick math there, Steve. That's what? Three and a half touchdowns a game, 350 yards per game oh, by the way, you're at Oklahoma, you have more talent than ever. And I think that's a team that could just generally be pretty good. So those are two that stand out. The quarterback at Miami, uh, Tyler Van Dyke is interesting. Connecticut kid, no big deal. Um, But are they going to win enough games? I don't know. I'm not a huge Mario Cristobal guy. remember he had Justin Herbert, didn't win very much with him. So my guess would be those are some of the guys that stand out to me as long shot guys. All
4: right, so in voting for the Heisman Trophy, actually the way my final ballot ended up was exactly the final ballot, one, two, three. Uh, And it came down to the final week. And really, 99% of the votes will come in late. And let's talk about Will Anderson here for a second. Because a year ago, Aiden Hutchinson finished runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. Remember, he had that huge game against Ohio State. Didn't do a whole lot in the Big Ten championship game. Well, the reason that Bryce Young ended up winning this thing, he did the seemingly impossible, and he lit up that Georgia defense, that historic Georgia defense in the SEC championship game. But when you look at the trophy itself, and, again, it can be a collegiate player at any level, any level, all it simply says is best college football player for that season. Sure. It's not a career award, it's a season award, and it's become much more so over the years. But can you see any scenario where a defensive player like Will Anderson Jr. can walk away? Because even Charles Woodson, when he won the Heisman, Michigan used him a little at wide receiver. He was a little bit of a hybrid. He was a punt return everything else. The closest a pure defensive player has come was Manti Te'o, who, by the way, did get my vote over Johnny Manziel. Mm. We had no. By the way, did you see that? Not uh, yet. I need ha- to. I am telling you, you have to watch that. Okay. Because if your question at that whole time was, "How could he be so dumb not to understand when he was being catfished?" It'll explain everything to you. It's unbelievable. But Cannot wait, yeah. Um, can you see a scenario where a guy like Will Anderson Jr. can actually walk away with a Heisman Trophy? Well,
5: I I bet him when I was in Vegas at 30-1. to 1. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at one sports book. He's down to 16-1. to 1, So I don't want to say that I moved the number. <laughs> a lot of uh, people but, are writing that, though. Well, I, I'll just say really quick. Heisman is about a story. This was a guy that statistically was better in every category last year than Aiden Hutchinson. Yep. Aiden Hutchinson finished his number two. Uh, and I think Alabama fans were mad at the time. He's going to put up incredible numbers. The only question from my perspective, I told you on your Friday show, we saw it a few years with Tua, Alabama is so dominant in so many games that they pull their stars out early. I think that could impact his stats. But, yes, I could because I think – there will be momentum off of last year where people thought he should have been in New York, and if he puts up those same stats, I think he's going to be there with a chance to win.
4: Well, that's the whole point though. 17 and a half sacks. He led the nation a year ago. In order for him to win the Heisman, he has to be as good and probably better than he was a year ago. Sure. Plus, the whole Bryce Young dynamic as the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, he's the 11th returning. None of them have repeated since Archie Griffin and Boy, I could go back in time and how if we had the same voting rules then as we have now, how many guys would have won the Heisman instead of the guys that did win the Heisman? Interesting. It used to be a mail-in ballot. They actually announced Heisman winners before the games were even all played back in wow. the day. By the way, Nick Saban, how much longer is he going to stay at Alabama? We got the latest coming up next.
3: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
4: Rolling along here, Steve Harbin and Aaron Torres with you on Fox Sports Sunday. And we are continuing the countdown to full-blown football. Yeah, I know, September's around the corner. We'll get down the stretch of Major League Baseball NBA's around the corner. What about college basketball? Your bread and butter? Where are we on the college basketball schedule right now? Well, I'll tell
5: you, uh, we don't have to spend too much time on it, but once every four years, these schools are allowed summer tours to go overseas. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was there was obviously none in 2020 because of COVID. Last year, you really couldn't travel abroad at this time. So you had a bunch of teams. Take summer tours, some of them were broadcast, at least you could get highlights, but Kentucky took one, Auburn took one, Alabama, Arkansas, Wisconsin, Virginia, uh, a
4: couple others. So you actually got to see them in games against professional players. Uh, it, was, it was fun. Uh, Chet Holmgren, season any injury. We saw this with Blake Griffin before his rookie sure. year. Julius Randle, member first game of the year, lost his rookie season. Um, Yeah, a little basketball talk. How, I mean, Obviously, Holmgren came in with a lot of hype. We saw a lot from him as a freshman. He obviously has a body that is going to have to fill out if he's going to survive 82-plus games in the NBA. The skill set is there. This year off that he's going to have now before he starts his NBA career, could this actually work for him?
5: Well, the problem is it's a foot injury, so it's not like it's your off-shooting hand or something. Like I don't know. People are like, oh, he'll be able to just get in the gym and focus on his game and gaining weight, and I'm like, well, if you can't like put weight on your foot for the next
4: like five See, every months- time I hear foot, I think about my dear friend Bill Walton. Sure. I mean, it ended his career, honestly, at the height of his career, that foot injury. He was able to have a brief comeback with the Celtics off the bench, but... That well, pretty much ended Bill Walton. And it's so funny, right? Because I think we live in this world where if you make certain
5: opinions or you have certain assumptions, you kind of get made fun of as like, oh, you're old. Oh, that's such like 1980s thinking. You don't know what you're talking about. Like, And that was the conversation with Chet Holmgren was like, oh, if you still are worried about body type with NBA nutrition and NBA this and NBA that. And I'm like, "I, I I'm not a doctor. We just have a pretty good track record that if you're over 7 foot feet uh, over 7 feet, under a certain weight uh, and even if you're not under a certain weight it's hard to stay healthy and we have the, the track record Greg Oden, and Bill Walt and uh, uh, Sam Bowie like there is a pretty big track record and it's just simple physics right your body is not supposed to be that big that's a lot of weight to put on your shoulders your your shoulders your feet your ankles your knees like and so like you know you have my, myself, whoever, saying this could be a problem, and people, oh my god, that's that's so nineteen. It's like no, this is like it's a thing, and I hope I'm wrong, and I hope he has success. But we have like a fifty-year track well, record. If you're seven feet,
4: it's pro- you're not, probably not going to play twenty years in the league. Well, and there's also the reverse of that, carrying a lot of weight, like Zion Williamson. Well, you know, you and- blow through your shoe, and you're looking at a guy who at age nineteen is naturally two hundred seventy-five, two hundred eighty pounds. Now, I don't know what you weighed at 19. My <laughs> guess is at 21 or 22, as you mature, your body matures, you just put on natural weight, yes. which is natural for everybody. Uh, and when you're at a starting point like Zion Williamson— That's a great point. Um, I was—I I mean, I look, I recognize the talent, but I'm like— How can you count on this guy being healthy? I mean, were you just blown away they gave him this huge contract extension after sitting out an entire year? So two things on Zion: one, what
5: cracked me up, and again, this is my background in college athletics, is like you you had this narrative, and I think if you ask somebody like Doug Gottlieb, who's around college sports all the time, there was this narrative of well, you know, well wait till he gets into an NBA strength and conditioning program, and he'll he'll trim that body fat no problem. It's like you do understand. Duke is like basically an NBA team. Like like every nutrition meal plan, weight room, facility, recovery. I guarantee you Duke has better facilities and and trainers and nutritionists and everything than some NBA teams. Now, if he had gone to Fill in the blank. You know, if he had gone to uh, Butler, then yes, he probably doesn't have access to the same. But Duke, he has access to everything. So the idea that they didn't have a weight room at Duke and they didn't have a nutritionist at Duke and they didn't have a, a guy, you know, f- counting every calorie. So that was dumb. Now, to the extension part, I did find that part interesting because on the one hand, I totally get it. I did get a little annoyed, though, in the uh, the lead up to the extension of, you know, them asking him and him being like, well, this is where I want to be, and I understand whatever, but at the same time, it's like the team just made the playoffs without you. Brandon Ingram established himself as an all-star without you. Herb Jones is one of the best young players without you. If I was Zion and they're asking me about an extension, my answer probably would have been, listen, I just want to get back on the court and help my team win. And the way he answered those questions kind of bothered me. I know he's young, 21 years old. Same birthday as me, by the way, no big deal. Um, I just, I don't know, something about it was just like, dude, you haven't done anything to contribute, pretty much anything. I know he was an all-star, but didn't impact winning. Just focus on getting healthy, and, and like I don't know that that part irked me a little bit. All
4: right. Uh, well, I'm going to stay with the NBA for a second here with you because I'm going to take full advantage of your knowledge of Let's it. Do it's it. certainly a guy that you have followed since his college days, Anthony Davis. Sure. So all the noise about him. the uh, Lakers and giving uh, LeBron the extension, and look, LeBron is LeBron, and. I would never bet against LeBron James. To me, it's like you would never bet against Tom Brady. I mean, the guy averaged over 30 points a game last year uh, on a bad basketball team. So LeBron's always going to show up. But all this noise about Kyrie Irving, or are they going to keep Russell Westbrook? Now they made the deal to bring in Patrick Beverly and his defense. To me, I'm like, none of this matters. None of this matters unless Anthony Davis is on the court. Mm-hmm. Now, you've known him since his college days at Kentucky, or days, that one year, spectacular season. By the way, if you look at the MOPs of the Final Four since Anthony Davis, it literally is a who's who of who's that. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the, I mean, really anonymous know. guys in terms of what they did in the NBA. But Explain to us when when you hear the knocks on Anthony Davis, who by the way was named to the 75th anniversary team of the NBA, that he doesn't have the offseason commitment yes. to keep himself physically ready to endure in an eighty two game season, which he's never come close to playing 82 games in a season, even going back to his days with the Pelicans. What can you tell us about Anthony Davis? Well, to me, and this isn't as much with the
5: college stuff, but like you know, what does Bill Parcell say? You are what your records, you are what your record says you are. His track record is can't stay healthy, and I think we have increasing information now that what you just said—that he doesn't work that hard in the off season. and you could criticize LeBron for a lot of things. There is no doubt about his commitment to the game of basketball. Kevin Durant, we talked about, you know, some of the off-the-court stuff. There's no doubt about his commitment to basketball. Giannis gets better every year. Luka Doncic gets better every year, even though he's not in the greatest shape. Anthony Davis literally said, I haven't touched basketball in two months. Like, like so, to me, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, there's nothing else to say is that, again, he's about seven feet, uh, hasn't had a track record of staying healthy, as we just discussed a minute ago with Chet. Um, and I just think at this point, you are he's 29 years old. I mean, you're not 23 anymore. You've been around the all-time greats. You've been around LeBron. You played in the Olympics with Kobe and KD and all those guys. You know what it takes to be at the highest level. And one thing I will say, I, whoop, I did get this right. I did get <laughs> this right. Uh, but you can't see it here in the Fox Sports Radio studios. My microphone just fell. I remember in that NBA Finals that they won in the bubble. I said, they better win it now because they're never going to have a 4 month break before the playoffs for Anthony Davis to get healthy. So maybe this year's the anomaly, but he's 29 years old. He basically can't stay healthy. He has no he has limited commitment in the offseason. I think you are what your record says you are at this point. All right, do you believe the Russell Westbrook
4: will be a Laker this season?
5: I does it, does it feel like anybody else wants him? That's the problem.
4: Right. Um. No one's willing to pick up, even if it's a, uh, you know... A, buyout and all that. A buyout, dump $47 million. I mean, there is ways around of picking up a salary like that and getting rid of it. So here's my thing.
5: I, I brought this up with producer Bo, who's a diehard Lakers fan, uh, the other day. I don't know if anybody wants him for this reason. If you're good... He's going to do what he did if as a team. If you're good as a team, he's going to do what he did with the Lakers last year, which is he's going to come in, he thinks you should be the focal point, it's going to screw everything up. If you're bad, you're probably trying to lose games and he plays so hard that you're going to win games, right? He goes to the Wizards for 1 year and they make the playoffs. He you know, Oklahoma City, they always made the playoffs. And so that's why I I do wonder if there's a market for him because he wants to be a superstar, he wants to have the ball in his hand and I don't know I, I do think, though, their 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 comments and their actions this offseason, most recently trading for Patrick Beverly, make me seem to think. It's almost like one of those, like, I know I know it's been a while since you were in high school. Me too, actually, unfortunately. It's like in high school when you've, you're in a relationship for the first time and you want to break up, but you've never broken up with somebody you don't know how. So you keep just trying to push them away so they'll do it. That's kind of what I feel like the Lakers are doing right now with with, with Russ. Is like, okay, we can't find somebody, so we're just going to make it so awful for you here that you just decide to take a buyout or whatever. And
4: leave. Uh, your high school experience a little different than mine. I was in high school when Nixon resigned. Okay, okay. so
5: it's been <laughs> so that's what you talked about. Uh, Which, by your... the
4: way, the day that Nixon resigned was the day that Derek Fisher was born. Wow. I I, I looked that up one time. No, I I, I look at this whole situation, uh, plus the interesting dynamic of Patrick Beverly, because I think we all agree, Beverly's one of those guys you hate unless he's on your team. Sure. And he's like a Draymond Green. You want to have that kind of guy on your team. But he has a history with Russell That's Westbrook. That's what I mean, yeah. I mean, they can't possibly coexist. I I don't know. Maybe they can but the the whole dynamic of that team, especially because I've I've heard the theory that LeBron's going to come in and say, "I want Beverly to start." Sure, I want to be on the court with Beverly, not with Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't think there's any doubt that that
5: move is not like if in the NBA, right? And we talked about it with Kevin Durant. You try to acquiesce to your superstars. What do you want? How are we going to do this? What kind of guys do you want to play with? This feels like the exact opposite of that. I mean, we know Westbrook and Patrick Beverly have have a history together. And now, again, I, I just I, I think it makes it clear they don't want him there. I just don't
4: know who's going to take him. If there was a market for Russell Westbrook, don't you think he'd be gone by now? By the way, with the uh, dismissal of THT and the deal for Patrick Beverly, they have cleared the books. They only have two players, LeBron with his contract extension, and Anthony Davis on payroll Beyond starting year. next year. So they, they've cleared the books. So, I don't know, do you sacrifice a year with the idea? Then I'm looking at potential free agents, though, in two years, and to be honest with you, I don't see well, a whole lot. And here's the other thing. You have
5: no draft picks, right? It's None. not like you can trade. No. that's See, this is the gift and the curse of LeBron. It's what I told you before, is that you bring in these superstars, you got to give, give, give right
4: now. I give, I give the Warriors credit. I give the Warriors credit. Nine years since uh, Dr. Buss passed away. Nine years. Seven losing seasons. Incredible, man. One first-round loss and a championship in the bubble. What did you say earlier? Is it players or is it organizations? Does that not prove it right there? It does. And that's all due respect. Like, I consider Jeannie Bus a friend, but... Uh, you know Arnie Spanier hey. once dated her in high school, right? No, I'm just kidding. But he <laughs> likes to say that. Though. He likes to say that. Well, I've, I know a few guys. I She's a sweetheart. I've known her a long time. I wish her all the best. Have you been watching the uh, documentary series on the Lakers? Their answer to winning time, you know. uh, I think they're upset that my voice is part of that winning time. A situation, but the bottom line is they they seem to have come back with a bus version of Laker history. So you know this, uh, we the Torres
5: family recently just got a puppy, so that's basically taking up any ounce of free time that I have at this moment. So you I need to seen catch up. You need to You, need to, you have to see you, that. You know what I have seen that I actually do like, and I'm not a Yankees fan. I've been watching the Captain. I do enjoy the Captain. I'm in episode six of seven right now. All
4: right, you need to watch the Laker series. Mm-hmm. I, I'm up to date on that. I, by the way, I've been watching Hard Knocks. I like it. The Lions actually have been a pretty entertaining story.
5: I've said this on these airwaves. I was out on hard knocks for about four or five years. Dan Campbell single-handedly
4: brought me back. Yeah, he brings it back. But that man tail, do not waste another week. You have to see that. All right, coming up on the other side, Nick Saban says he's feeling good at age 70. He could be the Alabama coach for a long time. Or will he be? The latest coming up next.
10: I'm happy as hell.
4: Steve Harbin, Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Sunday. So yeah, Aaron's got a lot of catching up to do on some uh, must-watch. We got a dog, TV. man. I'm mi- I'm missing everything.
5: Cockapoo. It's a little tiny thing. It's cute. It's adorable. It's just. It's just. It's a puppy. Yeah, puppies Takes are babies. A yeah. A lot of it's, uh, Let me give this PSA. I'm gonna go Bob Barker here for a second. Yeah. One, have your pet spayed or neutered. Two, puppies are cute. If you're not ready to put in the work, do not get a puppy. Doesn't I don't don't look at the pictures. It is a lot of work getting up in the middle of the night, entertaining during the day. My wife doesn't work from home every day. Of course I do cuz I work in sports so I can just do everything from home. I love my wife but it's a lot of work. So just be just think about that when you think you want a puppy. If you want a dog, get an older one that's house trained, sleeps through the day. This thing is
4: just on the clock twenty four hours a day. It's unbelievable. We have three dogs now. When I say we, meaning me and my ex wife, and as you know, on the weekends I come up and stay at my house where my ex wife and my three children live, along with three
5: dogs. When they, uh, when the kids move out, are you just gonna reclaim that like like a conquering uh, hero or what? You just gonna?
4: I haven't decided yet. I I am a low. You know, I'm a minimalist to the yeah, I extreme. I mean, this is well documented. I, would be too, I, yeah. I I maintain my little apartment down in San Diego Monday through Friday. You don't have a
5: trash bag. You, I you, do t- not, you I, walk l- the
4: trash out every day. I, there that. is nothing in my fridge. There's nothing in my cupboards. I don't keep anything around. I literally have eliminated anything. Just think of yourself like, uh, I, I remember I had a, a conversation with Buzz Aldrin. Okay, <laughs> Okay. I mean, this is a pretty random yeah, thing. Yeah, you, you got a lot of stories, man. So Buzz Aldrin was in a Toyota celebrity race that I was also racing in, and I'm sitting there talking to one of the first two human beings to walk on the moon. And he was telling me that as they were designing the lunar module to land on the moon, because understand this, that thing had to land on flat ground and then be able to take off to get back to the main module to get back to Earth. So there's a lot at stake here. And one of the things they realized almost instantly was this thing weighed too much. So they had to keep eliminating things. Hmm. And so they said there were no seats on this thing. I mean, it was down to bare minimum. The exterior was literally like foil. Okay. So that's how I sort of live my life. I've extinguished everything. And this you're going to find this out, Aaron, in time. Okay. As you get older and you sort of experience life and you try things, that's part of life, right? You, I want to try this, I want to try And then you you whittle it down to the things you actually realize you actually need. Sure. So, uh, but it's from a dog standpoint, they're just like children. I always say this about being a parent. I have three amazing kids in their 20s, but if I had that much impact as their parent or their mother had as their parent, wouldn't they all be the same? In what way? Personalities, so, oh, so what you're saying is
5: you had no real control over. You
4: have no control. You create life. You support them. You love them. Hopefully, you know, without any restrictions. But they're going to follow their own path. Dogs are the same way. Okay. Like we have one dog. She's our oldest, and she still does her thing in the house.
5: Oh no, that's not acceptable. Bad dog. Yeah, not acceptable in the Taurus household.
4: Yeah, it's not. The other two, the younger dogs, they understand the whole process, but she, Ugh. she's going to be 12 years old tomorrow. So, so you can't,
5: can't, can't teach an old dog new tricks. You,
4: exactly the point. So I understand what you're going through right now. Still, you need to watch this stuff. All right. I want to talk about the biggest name in college football. His name is Nick Saban. Nick Saban. Heard I'm him. always Heard. laughing when people talk about the Belichick coaching tree, that they've all been bust. <laughs> That's I a great mean, point. there's one guy that wasn't a bust. His defensive coordinator when he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns was a guy named Nick Saban. So when they talk about Charlie Weiss or they talk about Romeo Matt Patricia Canale. or Roby Cannell, this endless stream, every one of his guys have been a bust. Well, that' not true. Maybe under his New England Patriots coaching tree, but not when he was the head coach of the Browns because his defensive coordinator, Nick Saban's turned out to be a pretty good coach. But he came out the other day, Aaron, and he talked about that he's never – he's invigorated. He's all psyched up at age 70. But the game is changing. Sure. And, you know, he's throwing stuff out there about – jimbo fisher and you know he's buying players and everything else well i got news for nick this is where we are now name image and likeness no longer can you just roll out the idea that hey you're going to come to alabama and you're going to be playing for national championships that's not the way it works anymore i want to know how much money you're going to put in my son's pocket and you better come up with some pretty good coin because that guy is offering us more money so when Nick Saban feels like, hey, I got a lot of coaching left in me, do you think that if he does get challenged, where suddenly Alabama is an, an automatic into the national championship game? I mean, this is like Belichick right sure. now, where you're no longer competing for Super Bowls. You're just trying to be, get too back to that. Can you see Nick Saban powering through a period like that? He may not be there yet, but maybe he will be at that point. Would he do What's necessary if he falls off that pinnacle to fight to get back to that point. So it's funny because you and
5: I were talking off air before the show about, you know, you work seven days a week, obviously in San Diego. Then you're on these Fox Sports airwaves on Saturday and Sunday. You said, but this is what I love to do. And so by all accounts, by the people that are around him every day that I talk to in Alabama, they say that this guy, he he genuinely loves 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. or whatever his schedule is. He loves going into the home of high school players. He loves selling the vision of getting you to the NFL. And I, I guess I didn't hear this, but I guess he was on Dan Patrick the other day and and he was asked about retirement. And he kind of said the same thing, but he also said, you know, I don't have to quit my job to still do the things that I want to do. I can go play golf once or twice a week or, or I can still travel during the summer. So I do believe that. Now, what I also believe is exactly what you said. Now, it is almost like Belichick where other people have his blueprint. Kirby Smart was with him for 10 years. Kirby Smart has the blueprint at Georgia. Younger, invigorated. Maybe he's quicker to to adjust to this new world. Jimbo Fisher has the blueprint. Lane Kiffin has the blueprint. Steve Sarkeesian has the blueprint. So, if it isn't that automatic 11-1, 12-0, it's easy to say on Dan Patrick, I love what I do, I can't see myself walking away, it's another thing when all of a sudden Jimbo Fisher has just as much talent or Kirby Smart has just as much talent, and it isn't that cakewalk to a championship. I'll be curious. I, I did think this summer, some of the comments that I was like, he's on his way out. There's no way he's gonna keep doing this, but he signs the extension and it seems as though he wants to keep coaching as long as he can.
4: It's amazing when you think about the money he makes. I don't know what is it, about ten million a year. It's over eleven now. Yeah. Over eleven now, and he's still grossly underpaid. Yes. And- grossly underpaid Thank you. in terms of what he brings to that state the amount of revenue generated by a powerhouse alabama football program 11 million is way underpaid i am so happy
5: uh, the, my favorite thing about nil is that we now no longer hear people complaining about how much the, the, the head coaches make because right. one thing can be true should the players get more sure but Nick Saban's value to the University of Alabama, to as you said, the city of Tuscaloosa, to the state of Alabama, is so huge. I'll give you a quick side story. I know we gotta get to Fenley. I have an intern, goes to Alabama. He's from the state of New York. Why'd he choose Alabama? Because he watched him every Saturday and he was like, that's an awesome place. That looks like a fun place to go pl- to go to college for four years. If if Alabama is going five and seven and the stadium is half full because Nick Saban isn't the head coach, is that kid making the same decision? Probably not. By the way,
4: Harvard, Yale, and then Princeton back in the late 1800s when they really created college football, the beginnings was all about recruitment for students. Interesting. So from the earliest days of college football, good football teams are the ultimate recruiting tools for these universities. interesting, And interesting. this is how Yale and Harvard got into it with this college football. Princeton saw that, hey, if we get into this college football team season and this whole venue, then it's going to help us recruiting students into our university. So that has always been a part of college football. That's Notre Dame. Whoever heard of Notre Dame before Newt Rockney showed up and uh, created a football team. All right, let's find out what's uh What's out there right now? Let's let's find out what's trending. And I know when you went to UNC Greensboro, same situation, drawn by their football program, <laughs> uh, Brian Family. So uh, the football team that is
7: undefeated since 1895. Wow, I. they have been an institution since the late 1800s and have never fielded a football team.
4: <laughs> did that bother you at all in college? To, uh... it,
7: it did not. I did not get into Wake Forest and so I was like, I want to go to Greensboro because I have family in the area and knew that they played decent basketball and so on my 20th birthday when UNC Greensboro played Duke at Cameron and I borrowed my friend's ID who was a student at Duke and I went in cheering on UNCG in the Cameron crazy section and I knew players on the team and they were looking at me like Brian what are you (laughs) doing in enemy territory I was like I'm here to support you our team was up 2 to nothing in that game, and we never led the rest of the way. Mm. Isn't that interesting there you how go. that worked out
5: like, mm. like yeah, that? Because they had no fan support because they were all traders like you, Brian yeah, Finley. Yeah,
7: exactly. Yeah. So, speaking of names you might not know of but are starting to, Robert Sala, of course, the head coach of the Jets, he is calling his third-string quarterback, Chris Treveller having one of the greatest preseasons oh. in the history of football. Oh. And from what we saw today, he might – have a good reason and excuse for why.
3: Chris Strebler in the shotgun. He runs to his right. Takes the snap. Drops back. Lobs one. Back left corner of the end zone. Caught. That's a Jet touchdown. Calvin Jackson. That gives the Jets the lead.
7: Jets Radio Network. So they come back and win this game against the Giants. And it was a contest, 31-27, the final score, where it once again highlights what Strebler has done in the preseason. He has led... Aaron and Steve touchdown winning drives in every single one of the Jets preseason games wow. this year. They finished the preseason 3-0 and it was all because of Strevler acting late in ball games and getting scores. Whatever that means and if it ever could ever translate to the regular season that will soon be determined but good for him on that part. Giants quarterback Tyron Taylor actually got carted off the field and taken to the locker room after taking a big hit in the first half with what they're calling is a back injury. Lions and Steelers is the preseason game about to get started here at 4 30 eastern also the seahawks according to nfl network placing defensive back trey brown on the physically unable to perform list auburn according to reports naming tj finley as their starting quarterback no Going relation in, no no relation it's an i instead of an e in finley although i always will root anybody that has a name similar to mine as far as major league baseball is concerned Some notable stories here, including Astros pitcher Justin Verlander leaving the game for Houston after three innings and 60 pitches with what the team is calling right calf discomfort. That ball game is scoreless against the Orioles in the bottom of the seventh. Also, the Rays scoring four runs in the eighth. They have extended that lead 12 to four against the Red Sox. Mike Trout, another day, another home run for him. The Angels are all over the Blue Jays, eight to two, top of the ninth there. Padres have fallen behind against the Royals 9-4, and while they in San Diego are second in the NLS, the Dodgers are firmly in first, and they got it done today 8-1 against the Marlins as Mookie Betts with a leadoff home run for the Dodgers, and they had seven times as many hits as Miami, 14-2, and lastly... Aaron and Steve, the Tour Championship is going on right now, and Scotty Scheffler on the back nine has relinquished sole possession of first. He is in a tie with Rory McIlroy, both are under 21 under overall, and both are through 12 holes. McIlroy minus four today, and Scheffler plus two. So, going to be very interesting, Aaron and Steve, to see how this thing matriculates here. As we've got a
4: dogfight in this final nine well i mean this is like a dream for the pga tour right yeah. with sure. all the noise from the live tour here you are with the biggest single payday by far of the pga season on the line and he got scotty sheffield the world's number one and rory mcelroy tied right now with six holes to play uh um, pga's back baby i mean <laughs> th- th- this could not play out any better for the pga so uh, I saw where uh, Roy just missed a putt right now. So, anyway, uh, great stuff as always, Brian Finley. By the way, quick quick question to you, Brian. Yeah, sure. So, you mentioned that a Finley is close to a Finley. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. There are more Finleys than Finleys. Correct. And there
7: are many professional f- Athletes with the last name Finley. Chuck now, is Finley? there is there a
4: possibility in your family tree that at some point somebody misspelled Finley and put an E instead of an I? Probably. Because, and then suddenly be, Finley became Finley? Because there's all these
7: Finleys that are pro-athletes. Yeah. Michael Finley, Chuck Finley, Steve, Steve Finley. Finley yeah. And, yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, why can't there be a Finley? And I think, well, maybe <laughs> I have hope because I'm distant relatives to right. a Finley out there. Somebody give me some athletic genes.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I believe me, I know the feeling. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. Fortunately for my children, I actually married somebody that had athletic genes. So my kids, especially my daughter, my youngest, were insane athlete. It was all foreign to me.
5: Wow. I wasn't like a
4: Aaron Torres, you no, know. No, I'm just a little uh,
5: – my wife is uh, – we're not producing any NFL players. It was funny. I was talking <laughs> to somebody about this the other day. It's like the whole – we don't have kids, but it's like the whole, oh, can kids play football? I'm like – my son wants to play football. Like the only way you're going to have long-term problems is if you're playing until you're 35 and have a 15-year NFL career. If you saw my wife, she's about five foot one. I'm like five foot ten. I don't think we're producing the next, uh, you know, Ezekiel Elliott out of
4: our gene pool here. So I think you we're never safe. know. You never know. Look at my, my. Uh, I'm five eleven. My dad was five eleven. My grandfather was five eleven. I'm probably shrinking now at this point of my life. I have one son that's six three. The other six two. Whoa. And they're both, you know, but oh, they're you're feeding them. But they're, my father in law was 6'3, six, 6'4. Six, oh, okay. So I was always hope. My biggest fear about having two sons, especially this, since they're only 19 months apart, is that one's going to be tall. My mom was 5'1. Oh, yeah. So I was, you know, fearing that, you know, what if they get the <laughs> the Lieberman gene, as we call it? My mom's mom's side of the family. I warn my sons. So I go, it's floating out there. <laughs> You never
5: know. That must have been a t you must have had a lot of holes in the wall from uh nineteen months apart. Yeah. Yeah, we I could were weird. Um, well,
4: I tell you what, when you and your wife start having children, that is in the in the works eventually. We'll I see mean you're ya. you're going through the puppy stage. I understand. Yeah. We did the same thing. We had the dog and he had a chocolate lab and he was adorable, but he's a lot of work. You sure. know, a lot of work you gotta train him and everything else. When you finally go and decide, all right, okay, we're ready. Sure. Um, once you have, kids, you got to get pump them out. Just you know, just oh, yeah. you go through the baby stage. Sure. Yeah, we had three kids within four seven years. There, mm. seven straight years of diapers, that kind of thing. It, at the time, it seems endless, but believe me, it'll be like a blink. Of I know. An eye. Well, that's why with
5: the dog. Not to make this a you know yeah. puppy hour with Aaron. A lot of people here, are but,
4: relating to this right now. You no, know that.
5: it's it is very relatable. Is that. You know, I was told a long time ago, enjoy the process. So right now she hasn't had all her shots. She can't even really go outside. I'm just, you know, I'm like, in two weeks we'll be able to take her for walks. It'll be better, blah, 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 blah. So I'm trying not to be that guy that's like, I just need to get her to this phase. I need to get her to that phase. And I'm just trying to enjoy the moment. Uh, but I also, you know, I got bills to pay too here, you know, little <laughs> lady. So uh, I need you to go lay over there so I can get a little work
4: done. Yeah, I will warn you that uh, when you have children – Uh, and I always like this when they say, well, you know, when they turn 18, they're on their own. Yeah. Not in this world. Nope. No, they're all still living at home. Well, how's the oldest? He'll be 26 in October. Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of bounce. He just, he just wrapped up seven years of college Yeah, and his brother who is about to start his seventh year of college. Now my daughter's like, you know, four and done. She's, she will, uh, my youngest will actually graduate college before her brothers. Wow. Yeah so yeah no that's, but yes
5: that is accurate yeah. and
4: uh yeah i'm still paying all the bills oh my
5: goodness yeah yeah you gotta put put these people to work so <laughs> easier you, you said work than done. Se- you work seven days a week so they work zero i get it now. yeah that's in that great
4: all right coming up on the other side where are we going to be a week from now what is going to be the biggest story out of sports generated this coming week we're going to tell you coming up next steve harbin Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Sunday. I want to thank the crew today. Iowa Sam. Sam, are you uh, excited about an all-college football weekend next weekend? Oh, you betcha. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Where does, uh, what Iowa opens up with who?
9: They got the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State.
4: That's right. Top three in the FCS. See, when I see SDSU, I'm thinking San Diego State University, right, right, right. but it's not. It's South Dakota oh, State. the real University.
9: powers up there in the Dakotas. Yeah. And they are good. Yeah. All they right. are not afraid of Kinnick Stadium. Yeah, no so, sir.
4: So uh, Kirk Ferentz started uh, kicking off another season at Iowa. So we yep. will have 20, all year. college football next weekend. That's going to be exciting. Ryan Finley, of course. Uh, as we found out, maybe it's Finley and just got changed to Finley at some point. But <laughs> related to T.J.
5: Finley, right. Finley potentially the new but, starting uh, quarterback at you know. Alabama. Uh,
4: Auburn and Brian with a Y. I mean, there's a lot about your name. I don't know. Brian. A lot going on. Well, there. And it, Brian is actually my middle name.
7: Full disclosure. Yeah. What's yeah. your first name, sir? It's, it's Joseph, but oh, Joseph. it's just J period. So it very confusing. I don't know what my parents are. Well, why at the didn't you go thinking. with J Brian Finley? Well, I do. Like that's what it says on like anything I hold, like as a title holder for anything.
4: So I always like that when somebody decides they're gonna use their middle name as their, you know, street name, so to speak. And they always put the letter period representing their first name. Like, you know. Uh, and, and that you could go with that. So Jay Bryan family. So if you go and you look at my driver's
7: license, that's exactly how it reads. And so I get people calling me at the airport check and, hey, Jay, are you around? I'm hmm. like, Nobody calls me Jay. But yes, that that would be the case.
4: Uh, Sam cannot resist a follow up to that. Yes, <laughs> I can't.
9: The, just the other day, I learned that Ben Affleck's real name is Benjamin Geza Affleck Bolt.
4: Do you guys have any idea about that? Never heard. Oh, wow. yeah. I don't even know how to
9: pronounce his middle name. It's like Geza. All
4: right. Well, people call me yeah. Steve Hartman. Yeah, but you, you know what my real name is? Steve Hartman. Steve Hartman. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so there it is. Although there's been there's some people that look like they have made up names. You remember the uh, the actor Rip Torn? Sure. Right. His actual name is Rip Torn. That was his name. I mean, it sounds like such a creative name, right? It's a stage name, but no, it's real. That was his actual name, Rip Torn. How about uh, well, remember Dick Hammer, the yes. it,
5: Sam Darnold's grandfather? <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> but he was like a U.S. Olympian, played at USC, I think. I can't remember
4: the he rest. He was
9: the uh, Marlboro man. Right. Marlboro
4: man, yes. Yeah. He, Sam, we. What about he... the NASCAR driver Dick Trickle? There you go. Real, real name, Dick Trickle. Yeah.
9: What a name it is.
4: What a name it is. <laughs> uh, how about you, Ryan? Is uh, your name? Yeah. That is his actual name.
8: Yeah, that's, that's not your
4: middle name. That's your actual no, name. No, okay. Ryan Bershinger is Mike. Actually, is his name.
9: first name is is Ichabod. <laughs> Little known fact. <laughs> uh-huh. Very um, uncommon. Name. My
4: my former broadcast partner Michael Thompson. You know, father of Clay. And by the way, how about Trace Thompson? Ever since he put on a Dodger uniform, his youngest son all of a sudden doing it. Michael was born with a name spelled like a normal Michael: M I C H A E L. He changed the spelling of his own name to M Y C H A L. I used to give him grief. I go, Why would you change their name to My Shall? He goes, That's Michael. I go, No, M Y C H A L is My Shall. I mean, if you wanted Michael with a Y, how about M Y K E L? Like that would be like Michael, right? M Y C H L is My Shall. Hmm. So I why, said, would he, "Why did he change it though?" Because he didn't want to be like every other Michael. He said, "Mike, Mike, look at with all due respect to my beloved friend Michael Thompson, he's a strange guy. Being six foot ten didn't it make him unlike all the other Michaels." You want to hear a great uh, Michael Thompson story? So I did an interview once with his former Lakers teammate Byron Scott. Heard of him? Yeah. And this was for some TV show I was working for, and he knew I was working with Michael, and he goes, "Did you know that I once knocked." Michael out. I said, what do you mean? Knocked him out. He goes, no, I like, I knocked him out. Ooh. So he told me the story that Michael Thompson at 6'10", he was just one of those guys in the locker room was always talking everything else. And he goes, because, you know, Byron Scott's an Inglewood kid. Sure. Like, he's a street tough guy. And Michael Thompson used to say, and he's from the Bahamas. Like, you know, it was pretty soft. And Michael would, he would put his arm out. Like, with my reach, man, you couldn't even come close to me. And he kept putting his, you know, extended arm in his face. This according to Byron Scott. And Byron finally had enough of it, and he just took one punch, and he put him down. So I told this story to Michael Thompson. That never happened, never happened. Hmm. So I called Byron. I said, hey, Byron, how would you like to be a surprise guest on our radio show? Wow. So, so what happened? Yeah, So, now, now so we're, we're doing the show, and I said, oh, hey, we got a a, a special guest. Uh, special guest. Welcome. Uh, how are you today? And Byron comes off, and he goes, I knocked you out, Michael. <laughs> and what did Michael say?
3: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh,
8: well,
5: yeah. So anyway. So I learned today you've, you've interviewed... Byron Scott, yes. Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin, yeah. That was the most random one of all. See, see, you're like the anti-Arnie Spanier. Arnie Spanier's got a lot of stories, but none of them are good. <laughs> Yours are actually good. Like, oh, I met Buzz Aldrin one time. Uh, we yeah. just talked about walking on the moon.
4: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, he was talking about, when I was with Buzz, talking about he and Neil Armstrong are trying to land this lunar module, and they overshot their landing point. I mean, these are the first two, right? Wow. And they've got to land this thing flat. And as they're trying to get this thing down, they have X amount of fuel to get it down. Mm-hmm. They can't exceed that. So they're literally on a countdown. And Neil Armstrong is trying to navigate this thing, trying to find all the – and Buzz says, all I see below us is rocks, like wow. just rocks everywhere. And he's thinking, I can't scream at Neil. They're like, dude, get this thing down. <laughs> I got to play it cool, and we got 40 seconds to go. And he says Neil's not even sweaty. he's just looking around like. Nah, 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 nah. Finally, he's like he starts to bring it down. They're like 10 seconds, and this thing lands like at five, on the only flat spot without rocks on the entire surface. There you go. Now Things that's you only you talk about it. pressure.
5: Woof.
9: Yeah, they call that the right stuff.
4: That that
5: is See, the right you said stuff. Quarterbacks that have it and that have that don't have it. Uh, Neil
4: Armstrong has it is what you're telling me Neil Armstrong had it uh, and so did Buzz Aldrin and no it wasn't staged in some Hollywood studio okay I know that Sam that you're rumor. a you're a big guy and believing in that like it, and our moon no I was saying thank it. you for mentioning yeah. that because people actually believe much. that uh Aaron great stuff with you man thank can't you. wait till our next time to hang it out hey just keep it right here more coming on Fox Sports radio.